welcome to episode 84 of the Cinefessions podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts. My name's Brandon Shawan, and joining me again tonight are Ash Collins and Mark Nadeau. Ash, how's everything going this evening? Well, my back isn't spasming at the moment, so pretty good. That's good. That's always a plus. Yes. Because I can't imagine that's fun. Were you dealing with that all week? Uh, pretty much. Yeah. That sucks. And Mark, how are you? I know you're off work now. Thank God. Yeah, I got off work. Worked since our last recording, so I uh, haven't had yeah. too much to watch, but mm-hmm. hopefully we'll be able to entertain tonight. Excellent. How many days off do you have now? Uh, five. Oh, good. Good, good, good. Yeah. Excellent, yeah. So uh, tonight we are going to continue our Scream Factory arc with a review of Session 9 from 2001. And we're also going to move on to Round 20 of the Besting the Backlog Challenge. But first, remember that you can help us decide which film we're going to be reviewing on Week 5 of that of this arc by going to cinefessions.com and voting for your choice in the right-hand sidebar right there on the homepage. You can't miss it, so make sure you tell us what it is you'd like to have us review out of the four options list. And just to remind you, we have Cat People from 1982, Dark Summer from 2015, Terror Train from 1980, and Cherry Falls from 2000. So again, head on over to cinefessions.com and vote for whichever Scream Factory release you'd like us to review on that fifth and final week of this arc. So that's just a couple weeks away. And that poll is actually going to close on Sunday, March 19th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So make sure you get out there and vote. Once this podcast drops, you will only have a couple days. So make sure you vote on that. If you have not yet, let your voice be heard. Make sure you do that. And we also want to remind you, you can interact with us in a few different ways. You can find us at Twitter, on Twitter rather, at Cinefessions. You can email us at contact at Cinefessions.com. And finally, you can leave us a voicemail if you want to be part of an upcoming show at 1-302-448-TALK. That's one 402 8255. We love comments, questions, corrections, concerns, whatever. So please reach out to us using any of those social media services. And also make sure you're following us on Cinefession or <laughs> following us on Instagram at Cinefessions. Mark is on there all the time posting things about his A to Z challenge and so much more. So make sure you're on there following him uh, that way. And you can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash Cinefessions and check out our long list of past reviews and all previous 83 podcast episodes right on over at Cinefessions.com. And finally, we're proud to tell you that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by Audible. So Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a 30-day trial so all of our Cinefessions listeners get an opportunity to check out their services. There's over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, your Android, or your Kindle devices. So head on over to audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions to get your free audiobook. That's audibletrial.com backslash Cinefessions. Excellent. So Ash... What did your week look like since we last spoke? Um, uh, a lot of crying. <laughs> oh, uh, no. Yeah, me me uh, hunched over in pain. Um, yeah. No, I, I've been I've been actually pretty sad because we, we boxed up all my Transformers off of the shelf above my desk. So, um, <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. You know, we're slowly boxing up the house so we can we can fix up the house and and, uh, you know, deal that sort of stuff but uh no um let's see uh no i haven't really watched a whole lot oh wait yeah. i did watch uh besides besides my uh one thing um 
trying to remember what it was I watched. Hang on. <laughs> like, sorry, it was. I'm drawing a blank because it was, it was okay, but it wasn't like, eh. Oh, yeah. the crown. Okay, I did finish the crown. That that actually I want to bring up. Okay, so um, the crown season one um was kind of neat. Um, uh, someone was comparing it to the West Wing. I don't think it's like the West Wing. I think it's like the British version of Mad Men, but instead of advertising, it's the Royals. So, <laughs> so it kind of started off slow, uh, but the last couple of episodes have a really good, you know, payoff mm-hmm. um, at, at the end of it. I think um, there the uh, John Lithgow is in it as um, as the older. Um, uh, can't think of his name. Um, the prime minister in World War Two. Churchill. What? Churchill. Churchill. Yes. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry, it's been a long week. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, he he. They've got Lithgow in it as Churchill, and I was like, oh, okay. He kind of seems wasted early on. You know, there's like a couple episodes where he's kind of he's more important, but other ones he's just kind of like he shows up for like a scene or two and then takes off. Like one of the later episodes in that season, I can completely understand why they cast him as Churchill because it's actually like a really the ep- the whole episode is pretty much focused on him as Churchill, and it's fantastic. It's probably the best episode of the season actually, um, and it's and it's dealing with all the hubbub around Churchill's 80th birthday, and uh, and he gets a painting made of him um, by this modernist. And, and, uh, it's an actually, it's really, it's a really interesting episode. It's pretty good. Um, so I definitely recommend, even if you don't watch the rest of the season, just watch that one episode. Cause it's fantastic. Uh, really well done. Uh, it, Lithgow nails it perfectly. It's great. Um, awesome. Yeah. I love him. He's great. Yes. Yes. He was awesome in that. So yeah, I, I kind of had it on the background and then uh, that episode had me glued. So I was like, Oh my God. Um, but, uh, the other thing I had that I'd watched before, uh, was, uh, Dinotasia, um, which is basically, oh, it's, okay. like, uh, it's like, a, um, a bunch of like little vignettes set in dinosaur times, all CG, uh, with this foreign narrator who kind of loosely ties it all together, but you could actually just drop him entirely and you'd still know what's going on. That they're mm-hmm. pretty, it's pretty decent. Um, cool. but, uh. Yeah, so I I liked that. It, that one's not too bad. But uh, other than that, um, I played a little bit ESO and you know tried to tried to uh, walk my back straight, and that's about yeah. it. So, now, were you able to work with your back messed up? Um, yeah, because a lot of my work okay. is desk job stuff. Right. Uh, okay. But, uh, good. Yeah. So I but I needed to. I've been trying to get up and walk around and stuff and do stuff around the office, which is helping. I mean, it's getting better. Yeah. I, like when I woke up this morning, it was terrible. And I think I wrenched it in my sleep again. Uh, but uh, it's, it's after I, I took like a walk around the block. So it's feeling better now. So good. Ish. Right. <laughs> Comparatively. So yeah, if I cough, I will cry. It, it oh, jeez. Well, don't cough. I don't want to hear any crying tonight. There's no crying <laughs> in podcasting. What happens if you moan? <laughs> uh, moaning's okay sneezing yeah. also will send me into a crying fit because ow oh um, man yeah and then if i sit up just right it hurts too so yeah that, mm. that's a less cry and more of a, an exaltation of sharp pain um, right <laughs> so yeah. well excellent well what a, my nick of the 
Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. If ever in my neck of the woods, I can take you to this great Asian massage parlor. It will (laughs) help your back. You will feel like a million bucks. Does it help anything else or just his back? Well, calves and shoulders and neck. Why are okay. insinuating? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Not, I'm just curious. Hmm. Just curious if they were full service or not. Like a gas station? I'm not a car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, Mark, I know you've been working, um, but yes. have you uh, anything that you'd like to talk about at all over the past week? Yeah, a few things. Um, Anything that's a backlog challenge or, or, uh, you know, podcast backlog or A to Z, Mm -hmm. that's on the Instagram. So I'll kind of just leave it there at that. uh, I've watched a few things, but I haven't posted about it yet. So I don't want to talk too much about it ahead of time. Um, But if anybody reads the posts on Facebook or on Instagram and want to discuss it, even on the podcast with us, please leave us a message. We would be more than happy to discuss and have a dog with you. Absolutely. Um, now, I have to admit, I wasn't sure what to expect when Netflix decided to start offering uh, downloads on their apps. Oh, right, um, right. But now, I love it. So, um, this it really gave my iPad a second life almost because now on my breaks this week um, at work, I was able to catch the first six or seven episodes of the Scream TV show. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, that is so mindless. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not hating it, but I'm not loving it either. Mm-hmm. To a point where I'm not even sure what the names of the characters are, apart from Emma. Uh, but you know, it's an MTV show, so of course the 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 hot people stay at uh, you know they're, they're still alive at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, especially my 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 Brooke, oh my delicious little Brooke, the daughter of the mayor who I thought was a bit creepo when he was talking to his daughter in the bikini poolside. Yeah. I just, that made me uncomfortable. I don't know why. (laughs) They're not related in real life. It was just weird. Um, Yeah. yeah, So I'm more than two thirds through the season. Um, I kind of, when the mask was first shown on, Mm -hmm. uh, I guess on social media, I kind of liked the redesign. Um, If that mask is supposed to be, used to help facial scars heal that's a scary fucking mask like, yeah. <laughs> as a doctor or as a medical practitioner if you're getting your patient to wear that mask to help heal and keep your face together can't you think of something a little more like a little normal looking you right. know that doesn't look like you're you're gonna jump out of a closet <laughs> uh, that was it's a scary mask if you just have to wear it on the reg you know mm-hmm. uh, but i did like the redesign so um I, i'm enjoying it uh, i just don't find it's that screamy you know no. you had the first episode oh and that's something else in that first episode the nerd that works at the video store mm-hmm. um so he's talking about how you know um Seal killers like Jason, they weren't, uh, you know, they're lone wolves where they pick their people off one at a time. Mm-hmm. And off the bat, I'm thinking, no, because in Jason versus Freddy, or Freddy versus Jason, he kind of, he slaughters a whole fucking kegger in the cornfield. So, <laughs> right off the bat, I'm like, it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth. But since I watched the first episode, I'm like, oh, I might as well finish it. Plus, I had nothing mm-hmm. else downloaded on my iPad. Right. Um, so, I'm going to finish it now. Um I probably will watch the second season after a while. I'm not going to do them back to back, but for mindless entertainment, um, it's it, 
it's it's hitting its mark. You know, um, yeah. it's nothing. I, I would think our it. yeah, I think our overall review basically we we agreed that this show would work better in a binge setting than watching it week by week like we did and reviewing it. Oh, but I totally agree with that. I if I had to wait a week for every episode, mm-hmm. it would fall at the bottom of my queue. Yeah. Eventually, I would just not watch it because there are other things yep. to watch. Yeah, the only reason I continued was for that. I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't hate it by any stretch, you know? Yeah. I just – it's like you said, it's not very scream-y, you know, for a, lack of a better word. I know – I think Ash was kind of the, the most generous to it okay. throughout our, our uh, time reviewing it, if I remember right. Um, and then Ash, you watched it again. I, you might not have liked it as much the second time. If I'm, I could be wrong, but that's how I remember you talking about it. Yeah. Oh uh, well, uh, Ash is having technical issues right now yeah. with his <laughs> microphone, so I will answer for him. Uh, yeah, I watched it twice. I watched it a third time. It was really good. It helped my back. <laughs> I, I put the iPad on my back, and uh, its healing powers are soothing. Oh man! Ah, now he's typing oh. "bastard." <laughs> uh, I don't know what that means. Uh, if that's a spoiler alert, Ash, I won't be very happy with you. Um, so uh, yeah, so I watched this. So I watched Spinal Tap, and um, uh, again, not hating it, uh, not loving it. It's just there. So you know, it's it, it's not brain food, but uh, it's it's a time waster. Yeah. All right, so we finally got Ash back. So, Ash, you can. Uh, what, what were your thoughts on on Scream? Because I was commenting about how I thought you. Well, you heard me. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It definitely worked better binging. Um. The second mm-hmm. season. Um. The last episode of the second season can actually be watched separately. It's like a two hour special, so it's almost. Oh, that's right. So it's almost like a um an actual movie kind of. You liked that one a lot, didn't you? Um. The Halloween special was dumb fun. Uh, okay. It, I mean it. <sighs> Don't go into it expecting any of season two, um, expecting like the well-written films because it's just mm-hmm. not there. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's it's kind of dumb fun. Um, and the guy, I absolutely. Oh wait, that's spoiler. Um, so yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. anyway, <laughs> avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, it, it it is it is dumb fun. Uh, I will give it that. Um, yeah. but and definitely better to binge it than watch one episode here and an episode there. Yeah. But then, no, no. yeah, the only the only problem with binging it is you can kind of see the inconsistencies a little bit more. <laughs> no, <I laughs> but that's where it. you just have to kind of go in with your brain off. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, my brain isn't really working when it comes to watching the Scream 2 show. But it's funny, so, so it's an MTV show, but Netflix is calling it a Netflix exclusive. I'm really? not understanding why. Yeah. It might be Netflix exclusive. Um, Netflix Excuse distributes on, uh, in uh, online in other countries. Um, so they might have an exclusive deal to distribute it in other countries. Oh, maybe. Mm. Okay, that makes sense. Because I'm like, well, mm. no, it's an MTV show. And yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, because Star Trek Discovery is CBS All Access in the U.S., but Star Trek Discovery will be Netflix on every other country. So, except for Canada, it's going to be. Uh, I think it's going to be CBS as well for Canada. Ah, uh, okay. I'm not sure how that's going to work since I don't have TV. So I was hoping to get the Netflix show on uh, or the Star Trek show on Netflix, but uh, I don't <laughs> think that's the case. I think for North America, it's going to be uh, you'll need a service provider. Oh, okay. Well, CBS, CBS All Access is uh, just like HBO Go or whatever it was, where you can just pay like the $10 or whatever for a month and stream I, it. 
I thought, though, that they're going to still air the episodes on TV. They're only the only deal they had was to air the first episode, the first like two part episode. And then the rest of it was going to be an all on CBS all access. That is so weird to me to have a yeah. new Star Trek franchise. Oh, yeah. And, on television. Oh, and all of the the I, bet, I guess the CBS affiliates are really, really pissed about it, too. Oh, totally. Um, and the only other problem I have with that is they're doing it, and I hate it that Hulu does this too. I will wait until a fucking show is done airing before I watch it on like Hulu or Netflix because that just pisses me off. The only show I watch on a regular basis anymore, really, uh, outside of binging, is Walking Dead. And even then, sometimes I'll wait like two or three episodes in and yeah. then watch it. Well, I, I think this really starts to to show to like regular television that. You guys are relevant now. If you can actually yeah. produce a decent Star Trek series and not even air well, the pilot to promote the online content on TV, um, yeah, like TV's dying. Is there going to be like? Do you think there'll be TV in, like twenty years? It's all going to be streaming. It's, as I say, it's going to be in a much different form. Like you know, Comcast yeah, no, isn't going to die. Know. It's going to it'll live on in something else. I'm sure. Well, it's going to be holograms. No, we yeah. just pop up and us, us sitting <laughs> at the table with perfect posture and like, right. and like, how was your day? <laughs> I can't wait for that. I know. Let's hope. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I did watch a few things. <laughs> um, not too much though, but, uh, I did, uh, um, I did watch one I'd never seen before from 2001 enemy at the gates. With uh, Jude Law, Ed Harris, and Joseph Fiennes. Um, it's pretty much a sniper duel between uh, a Russian sniper and a German sniper. Mm-hmm. Um, but what's funny is that all the Russians are, I think most of them were British actors. So they all speak English <laughs> with a British accent. And then <laughs> the only German that, that's really prominent is, um, is a, uh, Ed Harris. And he speaks mm. like with an American accent. They don't like attempt a German accent, you yeah. know, like, no, no, this, this, and that. It's just like <laughs> they're just speaking their their dialect, you know, which yeah. is kind of weird. Um, so it, it was a fun film. A lot of head. Oh, uh, what's his name uh, is also in it um, uh, from Hellboy. Uh, Ron Perlman. Oh, oh Perlman. Okay. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and oh, he's got yeah. these like silver chompers because they knocked all his teeth out. It, oh. it's pretty cool. So Rachel Weiss is in it, and of course this film is a war movie, but it's also um, a love triangle that Joseph finds likes her, she likes Jude Law, you know, and so of mm-hmm. course Jude Law and her bang spoiler fucking movie's fifteen years old. <laughs> so, but the thing is, they they eventually fuck, but they've I, I, so you you see you know World War Two films and. uh you know, the Americans seem to have nice bases and things and whatever. Well, the Russians, any dereliction, they'll shoot on sight. So you don't mm. feel good about the Germans because they're German in the yeah. Second World War. But the Russians were bastards too, killing their <laughs> men, trying to storm a beach. They're retreating. And then the officer, like the commanding officers are shooting the men retreating. Oh, you know, okay. So it's like, you don't really have a horse in this, in this battle. Yeah. Race. And, uh, so like their conditions are poor, you know. They're sleeping one on top of each other. It's 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 really gross. But of course, there's a sex scene between Rachel Weisz and uh, Jude Law in like this underground barrack. But they're all sleeping on the ground, like one, one 
on top of each other almost. That's how closely mm-hmm. packed they're like sardines in a can. But uh, she finds a way to unzip his pants. She starts by giving him a hand job, and then they fuck. And what grossed me out is that, like, you know, during the war, they probably don't smell good. The dirt Ugh, under yeah. her fingernails, like, they're dirty, you know? And yeah. he eventually <laughs> fucks her, and the way she's um, expressing it, because you can't be vocal because there's a guy sleeping beside you, right? Mm-hmm. It's look. I, I think she might have been a virgin because she's got this look of like fireworks, and like if she could, she'd shoot laser beams of joy because she's like, <laughs> she's like, porn stars don't emote so much in porn <laughs> scenes, allegedly, right? But right. Uh, you know, it's like it just to me it was very fun. It was weird. Yeah, it was really weird because I, you know, I I can understand why just be, they're doing it just because you know they're in the war they're probably gonna die blah 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 let's do this once you know, uh but she was like over mutely overreacting with her facial expressions which I got a giggle out of me but at the same mm. time thinking man they must both be smelly <laughs> you know so <laughs> yeah so so that was in the game it was actually it was a good war film but uh, it was weird at the same time. I get that same thought anytime when I'm watching The Walking Dead and anybody like starts making well, out or something. That's kind of the same thing, you yeah. know. Of course, there's no zombies here. There's Nazis, uh, but it's like a similar setting-wise, just the grime level, you know. Um, I don't know the last time they actually had a shower. That's that's how gross it is. But I guess when you got to do it, you got to do it, you know. So right. Whatever. Um, the only other film that well, I'll talk briefly about the movies I did watch. Um, that I posted online. Um. So these are movies that I'm less, I'm watching because of other podcasts. Um, so there's one hashtag called, uh, podcast backlog. Perfect. That's right. That's right. Um, so one is called Thief. It's Michael Mann's first. Michael movie. Mann, right? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know this, so I had watched Manhunter earlier in the night with mm-hmm. Melissa, and then I watched Thief, not knowing it was a Michael Mann film as well. Oh, perfect. Uh, yeah. So. I had a shitty version of the film, so it was, the picture wasn't good. It was really late at night. Um, mm. So I think between those two combinations, um, I, I didn't thoroughly enjoy the film. Oh, um, okay. I, I like the performances, but I want to watch it again with a, like, Criterion has a Blu-ray of Yeah. Thief. I think I own that one, but I'm not oh, positive. You? I need to pick it up because, uh, like, I liked it, but I want to see it again in mm-hmm. a better format. Um, James Kahn is awesome um james belushi's in it too uh okay so do you know have you ever seen the movie the great outdoors uh years and years ago ash i'm sure has seen that do you know the old guy and the woman that rent a cabin out to john candy yeah 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 well so i forget his name i don't have him up on my screen right now i think it's george Procropsy or something like that. But anyways, he's, you can see him in a lot of things. He's, you know, in Gremlins 2. Um, he's, well, he's in a few things. Anyways, that, like, he must be in his 50s at this point in this film. That's his first film role. And like, mm. growing up, you know, watching movies in the 80s, he was in a lot of stuff. So I'm kind of surprised that was his first role as a, uh, mob fence for, huh. uh, for crime, uh, for crime people. Criminals, I guess, would be the proper word. <laughs> yeah, you know the crime people? Yeah, criminals. <laughs> Again, no sleep, guys. No oh, sleep. right over my head anyway, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I liked Thief, but, you know, uh, I want to watch it again. I'll probably like it more. But he's at one scene. He's talking to diner with um, a girl that he wants to marry that he likes a lot. And he talks mm-hmm. about, you know, this is who I am. Take it or leave it type of thing. 
And it was such a cool scene. Um, and just it's safe cracking in the early eighties. Like it was really cool. I really dug the film. Um, but I didn't give it that great of a score again because I had actually had trouble watching it just because that's how bad these, uh, the standard definition, uh, disc I had. So wow. big screen, Blu ray. Oh, look a lot better. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that. Uh, I also watched the autopsy of uh, Jane Doe. Oh, I really want to, I, and I read your review on that one, and I, I, I really want to see it, even though you, well, I'll let you talk about it, but. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 go ahead, but, uh, yeah, I'm not going to spoil it, just because mm-hmm. it's a new film, it's an indie film, we're supposed to support it, so let's support it, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's by the same director of Troll Hunter, which I really like. I love, love that movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, so with this one, um, so, uh, Brian Cox and Emil Hirsch, em, Emil Hirsch, uh, mm-hmm. he, the, the guy who was in Speed Racer, he was Speed Racer <laughs> and Speed Racer. Um, so they're like a father and son coroner mortician team of a local town. Um, there's a crime scene. Uh, there's a female body that, uh, they don't, they can't explain why she's there and why she's unmarked because it's just a flawless body. Mm-hmm. So they bring it to, uh, to them late at night and they want to have uh, an autopsy done so that they can get some answers for the morning. Um, so the, the whole film happens over the course of, uh, I guess a few hours. And I love the first half because it's them scientifically going over the body. Um, the actress, the name I don't have on my screen here, uh, she, she plays a corpse. She doesn't move. She doesn't reanimate, you know, nothing. Um, it's a real person though. It's not a, it's dummy a real person. Okay. It's a real person in, in most spots. Of course, there's some special effects that, uh, gotcha. it overused. I think it was an actual, uh, a dummy. Um, but I, I, I like the performance. Um, what I liked about the performance is that it wasn't in the mission, my, in my little Instagram thing, it wasn't a sexualized performance. You know, like these, uh, these guys, uh, the father and son, they're professionals. So, you know, you get some movies where, you know, the mortician will grab a look or, you know, he'll put his burger beside the, the body and then like, like, you know, do shit to the body. These guys are like consummate professionals. They're all about the science of it and treated the body with respect, which in a horror movie doesn't happen. As much, uh, it reminds me of that film Dead Girl, where you know it's these two guys that uh, are they college guys and they're high school guys. They find a, a, a dead body and they start fucking it. Like it's oh, just, yeah, I it's not good. That. Oh, it is, I did not like it at all. Um, I felt bad for the actress, even though I know it wasn't her. But you know what I mean? It's just like mm-hmm. for the role, like you're known for Dead Girl playing the dead corpse. Uh, yeah, I didn't like it. Um, but in this case, I thought it was really well done. Um, and then halfway through the film, it kind of takes a, a left turn, which I didn't like so much. Um, because I really dug the first scientific aspect of the film and then something happens and it kind of changes the tone of the film, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Okay. Um, I still think this movie or this story would be better as a maybe six episode miniseries instead of condensing it in a 90 minute film because after what happens halfway through, I kind of want to know more about what happened and where it's going to go. Like, where are we heading, you know? Um, so this film could be like just an episode, like the pilot of this story. And then we can continue on. Um, I don't have any idea if this is going to be a standalone or standalone film or not. Um, but I would think it would have been better in a longer format than just a, uh, a one feature. So, Kind of disappointed in that because I dug the story. Um, there's much more they can do with it. Hopefully they do. Who knows? 
mm-hmm. um, but I, I I do recommend it. But uh, the, I found the first half a lot stronger than the second half. Um, and, and yeah, so then the last uh, well, I did watch one more, but I'm going to post about it tomorrow, so I'll leave it for uh, the next episode. But okay. uh, last night, um, because uh, you had to give either I did or maybe you did, you gave it to Ash as a movie to watch, uh, Hard Candy. Oh yeah, you gave it to Ash. Yeah, yeah. it was me, right? So I rewatched it last night. It, almost a decade since I had last seen it because it's oh, wow. out '05. I bought it on DVD. I watched it just once. Hmm. I remember at the time, you know, watching the movie, feeling bad for her, and then that scene where you're really feeling bad for him, mm-hmm. and you know she's being the, and then she becomes the villain. Um, I don't, I didn't get that this time. You know, ten years later, I'm yeah. like, this guy is a piece of shit, and <laughs> he deserves everything that he gets. Um, See, that's I feel like that's how I remember it, but I again, it's probably been. F- Five years since, I, well, probably two thousand nine ish. I would imagine that's when I started collecting Blu-rays. Mm-hmm. So probably it's probably been, yeah, fuck, it's a long time ago, actually. Yeah, so it's been a while too. But yeah, because I, I felt the 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 victim and the and the I guess the heel in this movie had flip flopped mm-hmm. back in the day when I'd first seen it, and this time, no, like he is the bad guy and she is doing what she thinks is right, mm-hmm. not doing things that are illegal. But you know what I mean? Like it's it, it's a revenge film where she is. It, it's a rape revenge movie where she is not the victim, but she's enacting the revenge on behalf of others that were victimized yeah. in the past. Yeah. So actually, that just dawned on me right now. That's actually a really good way to put that film. Right. So is it a superhero movie then? Mm, no. Anyways, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So. Um, I have a bit of a different uh, view on this film now compared to what I originally thought back in the day. And uh, it's creepy because I like Patrick Wilson. And mm-hmm. up until uh, I guess I had given this to Ash, I had forgotten he was the guy in this film. Oh. And I, I've always liked Patrick Wilson. And this is the first movie where you don't like him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, well, you so, like yeah. him at first. He, he kind of comes across as like, okay, maybe she's overreacting. And, and then you little things he says and little like emotive stuff you know you realize more and more he is really fucking creepy <laughs> oh, well you know it, it's funny because i was training somebody new uh yesterday and this is after midnight so it's like it wasn't busy so we're watching the movie all together as a group and i can see my <laughs> trainee squirming in her chair because 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 I didn't tell anybody what this movie's about ballsy oh, going to show yeah. this movie to this woman that you just met <laughs> Well, well, yeah, yeah. Oh, um, good for you. Yeah, so so we're so we're watching this, and I can see her squirm because the movie isn't easy. Mm-hmm. Ellen Page is acting like she's fourteen, and he's <laughs> acting like Mister Nice Guy. But oh yeah, we can fuck if you want to. Like uh, he's creep. He's he's such a predator in the beginning, and she's acting so innocent, like like a fourteen year old would. You know what I mean? I suppose. Um. Yeah, so like, I, of course, I know what's going on. People around me have no fucking clue, and that's what I love. Because I'm not gonna bring a bad movie to work. Like, if I'm gonna present something, it's gonna be good. And we're all pretty warped at work. Like, we all like this kind of stuff. 
for the most part. Mm-hmm. Uh, so just watching this new girl, like, <laughs> so uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, just God. that was much more fun than, the, than me watching the film to begin with. It cracks uh, me up, man. Because, because I know there's a breaking point where the where the tables are turned. Mm-hmm. But they don't know that. Right. <laughs> I mean, sometimes I guess I'm a sadist. I don't know. I just, <laughs> I just love did, doing that did shit. End up liking the movie or no? I th- well, you know, because then uh, her break happened and she stayed to finish the film. So I would say yes. Oh, okay. I would say yes. Vindicated. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but yeah. So I had a, I had a blast watching it again last night. It had been a long time. Um, but apart from that, that's all for me. Uh, I you know, so I picked up. Um, so I've got that the new Zelda game for the Switch. Um, right. I I got the Bomberman uh, Super Bomberman R for the Switch. The only thing I've played so far on the Switch is uh, uh, Master Blaster Zero. <laughs> I, oh. I downloaded the game. It's it's uh it came out last Friday on their digital uh, I guess their Wii I guess the Nintendo store, mm-hmm. and uh, it's a remake of the classic Blaster Master video game from the uh, from the Nintendo from the eight bit era. Yeah. And uh, for some reason, of all things that I've bought, I'm playing this $12 game when I've got these. I got <laughs> Zelda that everybody's raving about and um, Bomberman, which I haven't touched yet. I haven't put a cartridge in my mouth yet. Because I heard they're horrible. <laughs> Can I do that, that on the podcast so right now? You know what? Yeah. You, you do your, your talk. I'm going yeah. to get a cartridge. And oh, then good. when you're done, I'm going to lick my, my, uh, my game. And we'll see how it tastes <laughs> oh. like. I'm Live. really excited for that. Live. Live on tape. Live on tape. Okay, I'll be right back. You go ahead. You go ahead and tell me what you want. Oh my god. Oh man. So yeah, this week, um, actually, a movie I forgot to talk about. Which I'll start about because I didn't write anything down about it. I watched uh, Sausage Party last week or a um, so, couple so weeks ago. Sorry. And uh, you know, it it was not as bad as I was expecting it to be. I actually thought it was pretty funny. Uh, you know, I yeah, laughed, yeah, and there's yeah, that. I- I nearly broke my spine this week, but it's not as bad as I thought it could be. <laughs> uh, I like the actors in the movie, and I, you know, I thought it was funny, but um, not much I'm to say. I mean, it is what it I, is. I'm also, well, I have other reasons to be pissed about that movie, though. So, oh, why is that? They didn't pay their animators properly. Oh, um, really? Movie, yeah, there was like a big blow up about that. They weren't paying. Oh, animators. I didn't hear anything about that. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, but so we watched that. I think it was on Netflix. Yeah, it is on Netflix. It keeps yeah. popping up every once in a while. I'm like, no. <laughs> but, yep, I also played more NHL 17. I'm now in the 2021 slash 20 – wait, the 2020 slash 2021 season. That's confusing as hell. Um, but I finally feel like I have a chance to make a run for the cup. Uh, I was able to sign an elite – 91 overall goalie which has been severely lacking the past few seasons um and stamkos is ready to lead this team to the cup so i'm fucking excited man i'm planning on playing more games this season i think i finally found a decent difficulty level um and so it should be a lot more fun now but that is still iffy up in the air we'll see could it Um, be that hockey's just not your game um it could be but (laughs) i I don't know no i don't know just because you're an original six, so <laughs> by proxy. My grandparents are from Canada, damn it, so I'm part Canadian. Well, there you go, cousin. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but um, and Bridget and I also watched a couple um, episodes of uh, Walking Dead. We were talking about that. We're way back on season four, uh, but we're about three episodes into season four. And frankly, this is a pretty damn boring season so far. Which season, um, which season are you at? Which where, Where's the... 
Um, I, okay, so I guess this could be spoilers. So if you are trying to watch through it like I am, just pause it for or well, mute it for a couple where, seconds. Just here. tell me where it's set. They're at the they're back at the the jail, and um, like there's the virus going around is what's happening right now. Oh, oh, yeah. well, very that, beginning that of that one. Stay boring for very long. Good. <laughs> Good. I don't remember that part because I'm a no. for as well. I stopped watching when uh, once they're uh, heading. Uh, they started walking to watch. Well, shouldn't talk that. Okay, yeah, let's. Yeah, we'll just move yeah, on. But, but I don't remember that. Yeah, I'm hoping it picks up soon because uh, the last episode, Bridget and I were watching it, and I felt like I was sitting there for three hours, and I'm like, how is this episode still fucking on? Um, but whatever. So I'm hoping that that f- f- corrects itself as we go here. Um, but we also watched a couple episodes of Unsolved Mysteries, the original run, which is streaming on Amazon Prime if you have that. I used to love this show when I was younger, and I can see why watching it now. It's really creepy. Um, it has an incredible host. Uh, his name's very famous, but I can't think of it right now. Uh, but he really drives the creep factor home for, for all these Unsolved Mysteries. Um, and the show used to give me nightmares when I was younger. And uh, it's it's still the reason that I force myself never to fall asleep with a smile on my face. Because <laughs> in one episode, this couple like tucks themselves into bed, you know, they fold the blanket over. It's like perfect. They have their arms full. They're going to go to sleep and they're smiling. And then this motherfucker comes in and kills them. And so ever since watching that, like I make, I do not let myself fall asleep with a smile on my face. Like I gotta have like a straight face. So yeah, but I love Unsolved Mysteries and I'm really excited to be watching through it again now because it's just so like weird and and creepy is the only word that comes to mind because these are genuinely stories that some a lot of them don't have answers to which is really always scary um but on this season they actually have like updates from uh like recent updates that are put onto them at the end it up to like the one we were watching was like the very first episode but it had an update from like 20 the guy died in 2014 and it made note of it so clearly they're updated recently but that's interesting yeah, no, I was shocked because I was like, oh, I thought this was the original. But then I was reading online that uh, I don't remember, but basically that, yes, they are updated for whichever company owns them. Now I can't remember, but they did release the updated ones. So interesting stuff. Yeah. And then um, and last but not least, the uh, we watched this movie on Netflix Instant Q as we were strolling, scrolling through on Sunday trying to figure out something to watch. It's called The Resort and it's R-E-Z-O-R-T. So no, I bet there's zombies in it. Yeah, there sure is. And I, <laughs> the premise I thought was fantastic, which is why we ended up putting it out. Because I mean, we so rarely watch movies on Netflix. Like Bridget usually watches it for her TV shows. But um, so this one takes place years after a zombie outbreak took out like a whatever number of the population, a large number of the population. Um, but now the only zombies still roaming around are all on this one island, which is called the resort um, and people can pay to stay on the resort and they're able to shoot like these remaining zombies or whatever. Well, one day the security system goes awry and they have to keep the outbreak from spreading around the world for a second time is essentially uh, what we're watching. And so like the premise I thought was really cool. It was a really good idea, but the execution was just okay. Um, it, it took place watching a movie whose title has a Z in it instead of an S. Yeah, that's fine. I'm uh-huh. I'm fine with that. Uh-huh. The Dudley Boys, the Hardy Boys, like that. They can that's produce good results. That's, that's different. <laughs> um, 
yeah, but it, it takes place on a much smaller scale than I was hoping. And the characters that we're forced to follow, there's aren't that easy to root for 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 different reasons. They're just assholes. They're just douche douchebags. They're just I don't. They bring it upon themselves. Like just not great characters that are you're working with. Um, the zombies look really good, and the special effects are really good. Especially, which I have to imagine couldn't have been a huge budget because I'd never heard about the film at all. Um, but it looks really good. Um, but I just it never comes together to to like form a, a it never gels I guess to form a memorable film. I mean, I just watched it a few days ago, and I'm already I already forget like a lot of the different details that went on in the film. Um, it's just one of those types of films. So I you know I'd say it's worth your time if you're looking for a diversion and can watch it on Netflix for free. But I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it or spend any extra money on it to own it or anything like that. Um, so I need to give that one two and a half out of four stars. Um, I gave Sausage Party, I think, two and a half out of four. Also, Mark, did you, did you see Sausage Party? No, it's, it's okay. not one that really interests me that much. Yeah. So eventually I will, but yeah. yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So that was that's pretty much what I did this past week in the world of media. So with that in mind, let's move on to our review for this week. So we are looking at the Scream Factory release of Session 9. So, as always, there will be spoilers for Session 9. So if you've not seen this film, definitely pause the podcast now, go watch it, and then come back in, hit play, and listen to our review of Session 9. So Session 9 is from 2001, directed by Brad Anderson, written by Brad Anderson and Stephen... Gevadon, I'm not sure how to say his last name, um, but he actually plays Mike in the film. Um, it has an IMDb score of 6.5 out of 45,505 votes, a Metacritic score of 58, 63% tomato meter, and an audience score on Rotten Tomatoes of 64%. It had a $1.5 million budget and was only shown on like eight screens, I think they said, or eight theaters, and it, so it only grossed $374,000. It's really found its niche <laughs> once it hit home video. So, Ash, what is your history with Session 9? Um, I'd watched it once before on Netflix, and I didn't remember a single thing about it, but my wife was like, oh, yeah, this is this movie with this guy, and it's horrible. And I was like, okay, well, I don't remember it, and I still don't remember having watched it before, but it okay. was my Netflix thing. So I've seen it before, but I didn't remember a damn thing about it. Gotcha. Okay, very good. And what about you, Mark? Well, I had first heard about the film, I guess, through Rumorg magazine back in 2000, 2001. Okay. And uh, when it came out on DVD, I picked it up, and I've been a big fan of it ever since. Excellent. Yeah, I, this is one that I heard about through, like, and they talk about this in one of the features. Um, it, it showed up on when it came out, after it came out on, like, top 10 horror films you've never seen lists, like, all over the place, underrated movies, things like that. Yeah. And uh, that's where I first came across it. And I uh, was kind of one of, I feel like one of the first horror films that I had to dig a little deeper to see because, you know, around this point I was seeing, I was going to the theater all the time you know I was in high school. I just started high school in 2001, I guess. But, um, it, and so, I, you know, I was watching like all the, the remakes that were coming out and that's what really got my um, obsession with horror films again, I guess. And, um, so I feel like this is just one of those ones that I had to do some research to find. And so it always sticks out in my head because of that. Um, uh, because I, until then I just, you know, had been watching what hit theaters and that was pretty much it. So, mm -hmm. 
Um, but yes, I remember uh, loving it the first time I watched it um, as well. Guess what I gave it on IMDb? Okay, back in the day, <laughs> um, I would say you probably gave it a 9 out of 10. Ooh, very close. I gave it an 8. Ah, shit. That yeah, was. that's all right. That's all right. So, I- I'm going to be honest with you here. I don't think... I think I may have written down more for this film than I have on any movie we've discussed in the past. Yeah, I've got about um, three pages of notes myself on this. Yeah. So, uh, buckle in, listeners, because here we go. So, I right from the get-go, I hadn't had – I didn't have my um, – my because I always use Evernote to type up my notes while I'm watching. And I didn't have it open yet. So, I had – as soon as I started, I had to pause the fucking movie because I was like, well, I got to write down something already. <laughs> I just love that shot that opens the film. You get the upside-down shot of – it's it's a makeshift type of wheelchair. So, I just call it the wheelchair. Um, it, it's a chair that has wheels on it at least. Um, but it – so like the upside down shot, so it looks like it's on the ceiling, which is just a great image, and it just sets up this film really well. And then obviously the camera turns, very square, quick turn, or not quick, but very square, um, precise turn. Um, and then you see that that famous image if you've ever heard anything about this or seen the the poster for it, the Blu-ray cover, whatever, of that that chair sitting there in that hall. Um, and and just a great great way, to, a great shot to open the film. I thought. A very creepy shot. Yeah. It's, it sets the tone really quickly. Yep. That is going to be, uh, you know, it, it's a more of a cerebral horror film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, it's the setting that's probably the main character in the movie, you know? Uh, yeah. This movie Absolutely. wouldn't be the same if it was set somewhere else. Like Danforth is a character in the film mm-hmm. and it really takes over our, our characters as we see throughout the film. Yeah. Yeah, I and um, I definitely uh, definitely liked the the setting. I I think that the setting for me probably held my interest more than anything else. To be honest, okay, yeah, it's um, it is such a great, just a great building, um, and and the way uh, what's his name um, the other guy who's in CSI um. Bill, who introduces the the building, talks about yes. the bat. I mean, and then they show that overhead shot of it, and it genuinely looks like a bat. Like, just what a cool find! Whoever that location scout was for this film to find this, you know what what a good job and, they did. And it was a mental institution back in the eighties that yeah. was actually shut down due to uh, uh, victim abuse. They mm-hmm. were uh, they were abusing the patients and as well as cutbacks. So they they did tweak some stories on the history of uh, the um, building for the film, right? And you know, not to affect any any victims that uh, got abused back in the day. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, there, there, there's truth in what he's saying in real life as much as it is in the film too. So it's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the. Um so I thought the acting overall was great. Um, and it kind of picks up right from that small little character of the security guard. So first you can meet the security guard who I think does his role. He's just, he just, I felt like I was watching a security guard, like just genuine, well acted for those few seconds on screen. And then you meet Bill, um, who is, I know like he is famous to my eyes anyway, just cause his face from CSI, I know him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Another small part, but really well acted. Uh, I mean, any anything you get in this is just so good. Leading up to, I think the 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 mecca of the film, the best actor 
well, they're all great, but the, the best performance in this has to be from um, Gordy's Gordy's actor, who is Peter Milan. Peter Milan, thank you. Yeah. Uh, man, what a fantastic fucking job he does. And I think without him, the film would be interesting, but not nearly as strong as it is with him. Yeah, I, I, I had a uh, a pull to his character the most. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Peter's, uh, the way he emotes in this movie, it feels so genuine. Yeah. Like he, he, he weighs his emotions on his on his face and shoulders. Right. You know, like his his body posture and just the way you know he he, he grimaces or he laughs or holds back tears. Like you really feel it's it's genuine. Mm-hmm. Um, There's that scene when um, he's t- he's on the phone talking yeah. to you know supposedly talking to his wife and then he's out like in the cemetery and then his nephew yeah, comes yeah. out. And it's just like he is ready to emotionally explode into tears at any second. And just the struggle, watching watching that struggle unfold on camera is fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like that's what acting's all about. Like it's so fucking good, man. It's heartbreaking and mm-hmm. it's exhausting because you've all been that spot before. Yeah. You know, we're trying to put a brave face. But inside, your your you know, insides are tearing yourselves apart. Right. Um. So yeah. Uh. I I think he is he. When I think of Session Nine, I think of him. Like he makes the movie for me. You know, David Caruso's David Caruso, and you know, and Josh Lucas does a great job as Hank. And mm-hmm. I yeah, also definitely. like uh, Brendan Sexton the third. Yeah, like, Jeff, Jeff. He's good. Yeah. You know, with his mullet. Like yeah, I know the, the fucking mullet. He's the yeah, comic like, relief, like, but. Yeah, but I, I just think that this is Peter's film, like, mm-hmm. and he he drives the whole movie. I think oh, he's yeah. fantastic the whole way through. Absolutely, no no doubt in my mind. Um, yeah, and then I guess it's uh, Caruso. He lands his role on CSI Miami like right after this is what they were they were talking about. I don't know what the years are, but basically uh, very shortly after this, and then. Uh, so just the fact that you you have him in this is is crazy to me because obviously he goes on to you know such stardom with CSI Miami but because yeah. he didn't he leave NYPD Blue to do film yeah oh yes yes he did spectacular films and ended up leading CSI Miami for ten years yeah. okay is that I think what happened? He, I think he left and then start, he did Jade with uh, Linda Florentino and that bombed. Yeah. So, Almost every movie he'd been in after he left NYPD Blue bombed. Huh. Uh, and he his roles were not great. Yeah. I think he's really good in this, though. Oh, I, I don't disagree. Oh, I think he's yeah. pretty decent. It's just he got he left to do movies, and the movies he ended up picking to do were mm-hmm. terrible. Well, I'm looking at his MDB right now. So he left uh, NYPD Blue in 94. Then he did Kiss of Death, which... I don't remember this movie at all, but it's got ugh, it's got uh, Nicholas Cage in it and Sam Jackson, and I have no fucking clue what this movie is. So he, he huh. did Kiss of Death in '95. Very good. Oh, probably not. <laughs> Jade in '95 as well. Then Gold Coast, which is a T movie in '97, and then uh, Cold Around the Heart in '97, which David Caruso, Katie Lynch, and Stacey Dash. <laughs> oh, uh, I've never heard of this movie either. It looks direct to video. <laughs> that pretty much sums up his post NYPD career. <laughs> well, pretty much, because then he does oh. one more called Body Count, which I'm looking at right now uh, with Vic Rains that. and 
and um, Ving Reams and um, Forrest Whitaker. I've mm-hmm. never heard of before. And then he goes back to doing a TV show called Michael Hayes. For 21 episodes, he plays Michael Hayes. I've never heard of that before. Um, a few more things. Another TV movie, a movie called Proof of Life. Uh, and then he does Session 9, and then he does uh, CSI, and then he goes back up to... Well, it's funny. He does, he does CSI, I guess, to create his character, and then he jumped into CSI Miami in 2004. Yeah, all of the uh, all of the CSI spinoffs, every single one of them backdoor piloted off of one of the other CSI shows. Oh, okay. Yeah. So CSI Miami backdoored off of CSI regular, um, and then uh, CSI Miami spawned off CSI New York, and mm. then uh, regular CSI after CSI Miami went off the air and CSI New York went off the air, CSI regular spawned off another one that didn't last more than two seasons, which was like CSI Cyber, Cyber or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Cyber. Like huh. like ASL? Like, what, yeah. ASX location? Huh? Hey, you want to say yep. Um Exactly right. Yeah, so, so really, he, he did a, a huge faux pas leaving uh, NYPD Blue. Because out of his next decade, I only knew of Jade and uh, Session 9. Yeah, what an interesting career path. Yeah, yeah. And then since then, he's done CSI Miami since 2012 and hasn't done anything since. As an actor, maybe he's done producing work. But uh, since CSI died, uh, Miami died, uh, he hasn't done anything. But he did 32 episodes of Miami, which is a lot. Well, and that was that was one of the things. One of the dudes uh, who was on Law and Order, the guy who played uh, Lenny, um, Jerry Sinise. No, 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 Law and Order, Law and Order. Oh, sorry. Um, God, I can't remember his name. He was on it like forever. Um, Uh, Jerry Orbach. Yes, yes. He actually was quoted as saying, "If you can get a gig, um, being a regular character on a TV show, you stay with it as long as you can because that's where you make your money." Mm-hmm. And, and and if you think about it, you know, he worked on CSI Miami for 10 years. Even if he got like $20,000 an episode, how many episodes was that? Right. And that's low. Yeah, like, that would be yeah. low. That'd be low-balling. Yeah. And I'm sure he made much more than that. Yeah. Well, even Let's look at Sarah Michelle Gellar's trajectory. She does Buffy. She quits to do movies. She does some shitty horror movies that really didn't go anywhere. <laughs> All those like Asian uh, remakes. Yeah. Like uh, she did. Uh, she, I think she did Juwan. And yeah. she was Jew on two. I like her grudge. grudge. Yeah, yeah, and oh, it's I, the gr- yeah grudge. Yeah, um, but I'd I, rather have another three seasons of Buffy than have possession. a remake. Yeah, because she kind of tanked after that. She she did Cruel Intentions, right? Yes. I think that's during Buffy. But can you think post Buffy if she did anything exciting? She's been in a couple TV shows, but nothing that's stood out. No. Like I, I well, again, I, I can't speak for her, but I bet if she could do it again, she'd probably stick uh, to Buffy for a few more years. Yeah. Oh, it, oh. Uh, apparently, she's had kids. She's been taking care of the kids and stuff with her hubby. So yeah, mm-hmm. with uh, Freddie Prince Jr. Yeah. Oh, is that her husband? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She, I guess. I guess she started doing stuff now that they're older. But yeah, that's part of the reason she quit too. Was uh, family care of her kids. I can understand that. Yeah. I think hmm. that's why his. I, yeah, so there's that too. Hollywood won't want you if you have a you know a post pregnancy body too. So right, yeah, because you know Hollywood. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, back to session nine here. Um. Yes. An- another aspect of the film that I absolutely love is the cinematography. Um, yeah. Uh, it's it's a very fluid camera, 
and they do it so well because it's, I mean, nowadays it would just be shaky cam, you know, and it's not, it's, it's very fluid. I love it. Um, and there's that excellent shot right at the beginning here. Um, it, it, the camera pans down and looks at the f- reflection of the water on the fl- on the ground, and you see uh, Phil like touches the wall. And it's what does it mean? I don't know, but uh, it's just a beautiful shot, just an excellent, well done shot. My only complaint with this movie, cinematography wise, is yeah. that they use digital camera for it, which mm-hmm. I understand because they did a lot of handheld with it. Uh, but they and I did use a really good camera at the time, but like it fell off to me. Like when we were watching it, I'm like, okay, I know this is on the Blu-ray and they probably, you know, did a really good transfer for this, but it looks off. And then I, when they were talking about it, it was like, yeah, we use this HD Sony HD camera. And I'm like 2001 brand new digital HD. Yep. There's why it looks funny to me. (laughs) So I don't know. I, I, they mentioned, don't they mention that they were going to shoot it on like DV8 and then they got there and realized this place was too beautiful for that, so they changed their mind? Yeah, yeah they shot it on HD 24P, which I don't know what that really means, but uh, I wrote it down. What you said, I had the same reaction because what I loved about the DVD that I had back in the day is that it felt – there was a, a gloomy feel to it. And I found the uh, the Blu-ray watching it on my PS. Oh, this is funny. Watching it on my PS4, it felt so real. Like I'm almost watching like Masterpiece Theater on PBS. Like it had that not cinematic feel to it. Just almost because, live, almost like yeah. a live quality to yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And I, yeah. And I tried uh, changing settings on my TV to maybe like reduce that, and it just didn't do anything. So today. When I uh, listen to the commentary, since the commentary is the same on the DVD and the Blu-ray, um, I listened to the commentary on the DVD, and the picture looked good. It was gloomy, it was dark, but not in a way that would hamper the film. It just added to the atmosphere of the movie. Mm. But then I popped the disc into my PS3 uh, to watch the special features, and it looked a lot more like the DVD. So then I popped back into the PS4 and it looked too real. So I'm not sure if my PS4 has extra juice or something, or I, I didn't. I don't feel like it it's different settings. Well, they, Maybe they, uh, right. They do have different. Well, you got to remember the PS3 was first gen Blu-ray player too. Right. Yeah, and right. the PS4 is a more advanced one, but the the PS3 and the PS4 have different encoding uh, ways that they display to the screen. The PS3 actually has a slightly depending on what you're watching, has a slightly more advanced upscaler than the PS4. Okay. Believe it or not. Um, because, yeah, because at least mine, on mine, the, the PS3, like my DVDs will look better on my PS3 than we will on my PS4 because the upscaler is better on the PS3 than it is on the PS4. Yeah, so I, I, I thought maybe it was the disc was just like, maybe this is a movie that doesn't need an HD transfer. But watching it on uh, an older machine, it looks great. On the PS4, I thought it it just it looked off to me. Yeah, so I watched it's not it. It's a fault on, of the disc, but it's a fault of like depending on the equipment you use. Right. I watched it on my Xbox, my Xbox One S with like my 4K TV and everything and HDR, blah blah blah. I don't know if HDR was active because I'm sure it wasn't. But yeah, um, yeah. And honestly, I didn't. I mean, yeah, it looked crisp in in like you're saying, but I didn't notice it as a, 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 f- a flaw or a problem. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it just looked too. Too real, too non-film. It looked too, mm-hmm. more like a documentary 
than it would uh, a feature film. Hmm. I don't know. That, that was just my perspective on it, but yeah. uh, it kind of t- took me out a bit rewatching it for the first time on Blu-ray, just because uh, it wasn't. It just felt too too crisp for me. Right. Hmm. Um. So I like that the, uh, the the creepy wheelchair that we see in the first shot. It's brought back. It brought back in very soon as they're you know taking the tour of this building. Um, Gordy sees it and he's cre- you can tell he's creeped out. Um, and it's also the first time that we hear another voice, which I thought was interesting. Um, very very fitting for that wheelchair to uh, that that scene to invoke this uh, another voice that we hadn't heard previously. Yeah, I uh, I dug the voices at mm-hmm. this point we had just heard we heard simon's voice at the beginning right right yeah that's, that's when uh he he talks to gordy or i guess gordy hears him uh for the right. first time uh, yeah exactly right yeah yeah no uh that's uh yeah i enjoyed that definitely um and then i mean man the, the the patient's room with all the pictures on the wall how great what a wonderful set uh that or what a wonderful room that was obviously uh, some of that was already there, but the the you know the crew added pictures, some of the pictures on the wall, so that they were uh, you know just more unsettling, I guess. Yeah, they, um, they did a really but, good job of that. I like yeah. I like the commentary too. They're like, yeah, it uh, uh, they didn't have to do much to to uh, make it creepy. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Like um, the uh, the scene with the tubs with the uh, hydration therapy. All it did was bring in the tubs, uh, the mural of the swan that's on the wall, and all the uh, all the other accoutrements of the uh, spray paint and just the decay of the building itself. That was mm-hmm. as is when they walked in. Yeah, it's just you can uh, very early on you can tell that if something is off, something is wrong here even if you don't know what it is it's just very obvious that something is off and i love that you get that feeling as you're watching i love that i think it'd be that way for any type of building of that nature like if i'm walking mm-hmm. in a decrepit old mental institution right i'd be like you know the air smells a little funnier in here yeah it, it smells it smells like history there's all right you know what i mean it's like yeah. you see that you see the dust hanging in the in the air you know just being suspended and like yeah Bad things probably happened here. I love the relationship between Henry and Phil because it was so volatile. I just felt like it ex- could have exploded at any point. From the very first conversation, because I didn't remember exactly what happened, but from the very first conversation, you know, I wrote down this Henry fucking Phil's ex or something, and that's exactly what it is. Uh, so, what a well written interaction there because it just delivers what's happening instantly. And then as the, as the movie goes on, you can just tell that they, I feel like they had the, you can, uh, they had this feeling that they were once friends, you know, they once liked working together and now Phil just hates him. Yeah. If, if I was Hank, I probably would not hang out with Phil very much at work. You know, if yeah. I stole your girl, He's you know, proud and, then of I, it. and then, well, I, then I needle you all day <laughs> about, you know, how I'm banging your ex-girlfriend. Right. We wouldn't be friends. I know what an he's just a prick. Yeah, he is. He is. I liked the. Uh, it actually reminded me having just got done binging so much Deadliest Catch. They mm-hmm. it felt like a legit crew that had been working together for a long time because they know all the right buttons to press to <laughs> right. piss each other off. Yeah, I did like Very that. I point. thought that was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Definitely. 
Um, I love that. The, so they bring up repressed memory theory. Um, so this is when Mike is about to tell that, that really gruesome story. And as soon as we hear the words repressed memory theory, where does the camera go? Gordon. Very obviously, uh, as as the movie you know goes on, this is something that this is this is what he's dealing with. And then who stops the story that Mike's telling? Gordon. Um, and so I think it's just smart, smart filmmaking there um, and writing. And I think that's really well done. And then the story that's told <laughs> about the scandal that that rocked the place. Um, what man? What another another the word that just comes to mind consistently over and over again is unsettling. Told really well, Mike does it so well. It's very creepy and just very unsettling. And then it ends on that you know kind of a humorous note. But well, you know what? There's a book that I bought last year called mm-hmm. Satanic Panic, and oh, it's okay. about it's about the satanic uh, fervor that occurred in the 70s and 80s. Yeah. And uh, it talks about, like their story about uh, the girl thinking that she was, uh, you know, uh, used in satanic rituals. Um, there's a story or a few essays about that uh, in the book, and it's really interesting. Like, you know, me growing up, you know, young in the '80s, I didn't really get that much of a feel of, mm-hmm. of what occurred then. But uh, I find it so interesting. You know, in the days before the internet, where you know D and D is a portal to satan right where people would just go crazy on anything demonic um yeah it's such an interesting book and just those stories just i find them so interesting Mm -hmm. yeah definitely another another shot that that stood out to me in this one was when um jeff and mike were talking um and they have they're both in the doorways and you have the wall in between them um i guess you can put whatever undertone you want to that whatever you know kind of uh unwritten dialogue that you want to that um but just from an aesthetic point i thought it looked really good uh is that the one with i'm sorry i'm trying to think exactly what scene is that is that the scene so where it's this oh mic- where the power goes out yeah, yeah. Where he loses the power exactly and he's like okay i'm gonna go because i've got the fear of the dark so i'm gonna go yeah his nectophobia uh, right yeah i find the way that the frame they yes. use uh, they they use the, the facility the yeah. frame and kind of divide the characters a bit because they each, exactly they each go into their own little psychosis yeah you know you've got you've got uh, Jeff with his uh, fear of the dark and then you've got Mike with his uh, with his uh, uh, obsession of the session tapes yep you know and then <sighs> Phil's obsession is kind of weird to me because. One, you find out, you know, he's a pot smoker, so he uses drugs. Mm-hmm. Again, this is like 20, you know, and this is from 2001. So, yeah. you know, today's day, who cares, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but there's that. But I also felt that he was trying to turn the other guys against Gordon. It's wow. like she, he was yeah. almost trying to take over the leadership of this company. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it's fascinating because I, I write down later that obsession is such a huge part in this because you have I'm, – I'm just going to say him again even though you already did. Um, you, the only one I couldn't really place was Jeff because you have uh, Mike's obsession with the tapes. You have Hank's obsession with getting um, uh, the money or and, and the, you know he's a gambler also. And so obviously money is – and he, he's the one that brings up what are we going to get? Five bucks an hour. So clearly yeah. his obsession is with money. Um, obviously, um, 
um Gordon's obsession with you know basically um his his wife and his his family at this point because of what he's done um and then you know Phil with um I, the drugs was the most obvious thing, even though it's so silly nowadays. But um, it, it's clearly an important thing in the world of this film because they even talk. They make mention that you know one of Hank says one of um, Gordon Gordy's rules is no drugs on the job, and so like so clearly something that's important. Um, but I think you are definitely onto something with uh, you know Phil's obsession. Maybe be more more so kind of taking over because um, right in the beginning of the movie. When they're trying to like set a price or set how long it's going to take, he says three weeks. Gordon says two, and then the way Phil reacts to that, um, yeah. and then he finds out later it's one week. Uh, you know, um, and then with obviously later he finds out that he you know, Gordon hit his wife is what Gordy tells him, and so yeah. he gets Mike in on it and basically says, you know, he's a uh, what's the word he uh, he is a what's the word I'm trying to think of uh, a liability. Um, so yeah, I think there's definitely something there. Um, but obsession is very clearly a factor in this film. I think Phil too, his problem is loneliness just because, you know, he loses his girl to Hank. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yep. And then when they're, you know, they're doing their thing before they start their job, he's by himself in a packed bar. Yep. Exactly. So I think it's a loss of friends because he lost his friendship to Hank. He's lonely. And then, you know, like he's telling, um, he's telling Mike about how, uh, Gordon hit his wife. Yeah. Why even bring it up? How, how is that a, a job issue to Mike? You That's, know? Like, is he trying know, to put him on his side so that he's, he's got someone on his side because he's really by himself? Initially, I justified it though, because it's very clear that, that, some, that Gordon is off. He's yes. not there mentally. And, yeah. Even at one point, Gordon is staring out the window and Phil like taps on the wall or ceiling or something and just like holds up his arm or put, points yeah. to his watch. Yeah. So I feel like he's it, distracted. It's justified because he is distracted. And I feel like something happens right before that, but I can't remember what it is. Um, where Gord, Gordy like basically shows that he's kind of fucked up. And so I think it might just be more so. At least I was able to justify it that it was just genuine. He's going to fuck this up for us. So I need to get you – He yes, he is getting him on his side because he's afraid that they're going to lose his job. Uh, see, and I also think the problem with Phil is that he probably isn't able to keep – He maybe he overshares, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he introduced his girlfriend. Exactly. Um, to he hang, can't keep yeah. a secret. You know, I don't mm-hmm. know. It's just I, – I find Phil's thing isn't really bolted down like the others are. Yeah, but I really think it's a sense of loneliness for the guy, and I think Jeff's is 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 one that I couldn't I couldn't. What is his obsession? I couldn't I couldn't does find he, one. Does he even have one? Just because he's such you know like he's the the temp guy for this job, right? He's he's the nephew and he's young. Exactly. I don't think he even has one because he's just starting his career, mm-hmm. and the other guys have been this career shucking fiber for such a long time that they're yeah. all looking for an exit plan. But Jeff isn't. He's just, he's just starting, you right. know? So maybe it's his innocence. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, in, I don't know if it's interesting that he's the only one that kind of lists a, a fear, a phobia, you know, well, yeah, and being but afraid of dark. As my wife just pointed out, they all kind of have something clinical going on with them. Whether addiction to gambling or you know mm-hmm. you know the stuff like that you know fear an actual fear of the dark 
you know, um, one dude has this obsession with the the whole the psychiatric institute, and uh, yeah, so you've got obsession. Yeah, you know, they they all share some kind of personality flaw or mental illness, basically. Mm-hmm. And I love because Hank says, you know, you finally found the perfect job for us because everyone always calls us crazy, and now we're cleaning a mental hospital. So that's <laughs> very fitting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. There's just so it's. I love I love the the characters in this. There's just so much to them. They're all fully realized, all three dimensional. Yeah. They're not bad guys. They're just right. guys that uh, you know they, they work hard and they really haven't had any fruits of their labor really presented to them yet. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, even uh, Gordon. You know, he he comes to to North. You know, he comes to. I'm assuming they're in Boston or in Massachusetts. Massachusetts, yeah, yeah. And you know, like he's got in, like he he's in his forties, I would assume. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got a wife, and now they have a newborn, and he's got his business that's going under. And like their home isn't the isn't the nicest home, so they're yeah. they're probably living paycheck to paycheck and just getting by. You know, mm-hmm. it's like when am I going to get my break? And the the break that he got was his mental break. You know, he right. mentally broke and uh, yeah. he gave up. Yeah. I mean, they talk about the fact that he would have to close if he didn't get this job. He was going to have to close down his business. So, I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, can you imagine like cleaning the asbestos in that place, or at least that wing that the, uh, they're introduced to in a yeah. week? That seemed like so much work. So oh, much I know work in such a little amount of time. I uh, I no idea how they would have ever done that, but I know nothing of asbestos cleaning. So no, me neither. No, but um, uh, there's there's this happens. I want to say th- two or three times throughout the movie. There's almost this montage of shots that come at it's it's kind of an odd place. So the first time I noticed it was when Mike decides to open up the evidence box. So he's you know using the I guess he's using a knife. To, I don't know what he's using. I, I would assume a knife to open the box. And then we see Gordy. He's cutting like one of the sheets of mm-hmm. plastic and he cuts himself. Um, and then you see the dust going into the eyes of Hank. Um, there's that little montage of shots and then obviously with the evidence box, um, it happens again later on. Um, uh, you see the, oh, it was the guys at home after work or at the bar while you're hearing Mary talk on the tape. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm not sure the connection. I think it happens a third time toward very toward the end of this thing, but I, I can't, I can't remember it exactly. Um, but it's obviously a very strong choice, but I'm not sure I was able to connected or, or if it was to be connected i guess with what was actually happening it was interesting the way i saw it is yeah. that the opening of the box symbolized uh, them being finally affected by the surroundings that they work in and mm. them being weak you know with each their own vices and problems uh, they're susceptible to uh influences and maybe yeah. just the you know the, the supernatural and pretty much the, the the Simon because he is in the belly of the weak and the wounded, right? right. And they're all wounded in their own little ways. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, my opinion is that, you know, Simon was unleashed because he is the major player in this game. Right. And uh, they're, they're all, you know, in their own ways taken. So, you know, you've got the cutting of the tape. With Mike, which was gets his obsession with the with the uh, with the session tapes, at the same time um, drawing blood on Gordo, 
who eventually becomes goes he eventually goes insane. At that mm-hmm. point, actually, he already is gone insane, but right. it's repressed. Um, and then you also see with uh, with Hank, you know, getting the dust in the eye, and that's foreshadowing for his uh, little uh, situation later on in the film. Right. Um, but you don't see anything for uh, for Jeff, if I remember correctly. Right. No, that uh, you're right. Yeah, not that I wrote down or that I recall. Yeah, I think yeah. you're absolutely right. So, uh, so yeah. I, I, I just think Jeff again. He well, is that the, might be because theirs are more vices, and Jeff's an actual is an actual fear. But I, I think as well, Jeff's it's, it's a fear, and it's fear of the dark because he's still young, maybe he's still like a child. And yeah. these guys have lived, you know, so long already, and they're just, you know, uh, they're just uh, torn down from, you know, their vices. You know, mm-hmm. Hank needs the cash. Uh, you know, Phil secluded. Uh, Mike's curious, you know, he wanted to be an attorney, right. but he to shock fiber instead. Yeah. So he, I think maybe he's afraid of bigger challenges. I don't know. There's a lot to think about. Mm-hmm. And th- there's so many questions. This film presents question after question after question as it goes on. Um, and obviously you get, you get most of the answers, um, at the, at the end, but I think that's what works so well for me is the not knowing and they kind of just reveal what they need to when they need to. Um, and it's so fascinating to me to watch it unfold. Um, I, you know, some of the, like uh, Gordy's leg, I, you know, until obviously we know a few minutes later what happened, but all you see is this kind of like this wet spot on his jeans. It's like, what the hell is that? Um, mm-hmm. and then the, the two like thug looking guys that Phil is talking to, and then he, he, you know, he just, he says that he was telling them they were the graffiti artists and not to come anymore, which is bullshit. Obviously, they, what they must have been was the drug dealers. Um, you know, but I just, and then there's so many more. Obviously, those are just the two that popped in my head immediately, but there's so many more, um, yeah. questions. It's such a, another just overarching theme to the entire film. And it, it's funny too, because those two drug dealers had a bigger part in the film, but uh, they were cut out. Oh, were they? They weren't in the just. I don't remember them in the deleted scenes at all. No, no, they weren't. Okay. Uh, but uh, originally, they were. They had a, a bigger role, so there was something more to it with those guys. Um, and it, they just became drug dealers. Yeah. But again, though, it's not really mentioned either. You just see Crusoe, you know, rolling a joint in his car. Yeah, they never so, say that they're drug dealers, no, right? So, so you're just they. They look like drug dealers, you know, right? And you're just drawing. I, well, I'm just drawing that conclusion. Yeah, exactly. We're just drawing the conclusion to that. So yeah, and I love that. It doesn't need to. Who they don't need to. And I love that about it. They're not afraid to kind of keep some of those things open like that. Or I guess not even keeping it open. They're not afraid to not hold your hand and give you every answer. They you know making you connect some of the dots, which is good. Yeah, they're not feeding you all the answers. Right. Yeah. Um, I really love that scene when um Henry is downstairs. Uh, like in the, you know, in the tunnels where he's working and he finds the, the coin and the jewelry and then like the glass eyes and shit. So in that furnace, um, it's just, man, that is so, again, unsettling. You see the camera goes on the other side of the wall and pans out and you see, obviously, that's the furnace uh, uh, where these people not, were dead. It's not. Uh, in the commentary, they mentioned that because mm-hmm. I thought at first until I listened to the commentary that it was a crematorium. Yeah, you that's what I'm talking about. I said yeah. the furnace, yeah. But apparently it's not. Apparently it's one of the workers at the institution would steal patients' uh, change and jewelry and whatnot and hid it behind the brick. Oh, so, really? 
Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so that was an assumption that people made was that you know this is like from a, uh, from a furnace, and yeah, it's was, not. It's just that was the first guy, thing I thought. I was like, "Yep, this is that. That's from a furnace. Holy shit!" Well, and I would assume so as well, just because they had teeth in there, right? Exactly. Right. Uh, and what was gross was that that string of hair. There was a clump oh, yeah. of hair that was disgusting. But um, yeah, no, I guess it's just one of the workers would hide his stash behind, I guess, behind that brick. So it huh. wasn't actually burnt, uh, burnt uh, leftover bodies. Interesting. That interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I thought so too. I didn't. Uh, I didn't realize that. I almost feel like it's stronger to think that it's from <laughs> the furnace or from the crematorium. Oh, interesting. Yeah, to, to me it made sense, but at the same time, you look at the rings, and then the rings have tags on them. So why right. would not? Oh yeah, you're right. Yep. Burnt? So in a way, it does make sense that it's not. But mm-hmm. uh, that's the first thing that people kind of, kind of. And why at. are they? I was wondering, like, why are they burning bodies with like change in their pocket? Like, I feel like that would just be things they would take out. Uh, unless if they you know, even well, burn, I don't even think they would burn a body with clothes on. In reality, would they? I don't know. Well, the way I uh, kind of made the connection, if it was a crematorium, mm-hmm. is that they're mental patients and they probably swallowed change. Oh, that's that. That was my interesting. They do burn you but when they cremate you. They do it with clothes on. Oh, okay. Because yeah, but trust mm. me, experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it, serious experience. Not, mm. not, not. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were talking about the time you got burned alive. Yeah, it's like how many times? No, you- <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, my uh, my grandmother in law was was cremated. So. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, my um my grandfather was a mortician, but he died before I was born, so I didn't get to learning the tricks of the trade that way. You know, I almost went into uh working as a funeral uh to work in a funeral parlor. Oh really? I was seriously looking at that uh line of work when I got out of high school. Hmm. Fascinating. My the the university I went to for undergrad is one of the top mortuary mortar uh uh whatever more that word that I can't, the mortician, yeah, schools in the country. And so they have a very popular, popular program for it. But fascinating stuff. Anyway, um, yes. so I loved how with the mic with the tapes, the way the camera handled showing us what session we are on and the fact that there was a session nine, um, I thought it was so fucking cool because we we obviously know that the film we are watching is titled Session 9. And it doesn't emphasize that Session 9. It doesn't emphasize where we are. It just shows it. and But it still builds this excitement for me, at least. It builds the tension that, oh, man, what's going to happen when we get to Session 9? Because these are kind of getting weirder as it goes on. And then Session 9 is right there. What's going to happen? It has to be something big because that's the title of the fucking film. What's going to happen? I thought it was so well done because, again, it's not emphasized. It's not pointed out to you. It's just there. They show it. It's just there. And I kind of like – for me at least, I was kind of building the tension for myself. Uh, And I think that's really well done. And I feel like it has to be intentional. And what I liked as well is that they didn't play every session. Right. You know, you start with the first one and then I think it went to five and then to nine. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not like we had to listen to like – eight other sessions yeah. that we got to the to the conclusion or to the mm-hmm. apex, you know? So yeah. I, I did like that as well. And that it's real to real, you know? 
it's it's not just a cassette tape, but you know, he had mm-hmm. to, to reel the just yeah. just the way everything was filmed. It just looked really cool. Right. I, it was like, you know, using the equipment of that time period, which I liked. Yeah. There was no fucking way these people were getting this shit done in a week. They don't do anything. Mike spends his time going off and listening to the tapes. Hank just smoke breaks and, and bullshitting. Jeff's sitting on top of the tile machine talking with them. Like, they don't do anything. The only people who are working are is Phil, really. He's like the only one working because even Gordy's staring out windows most of the time. Like, there's no way in hell these guys were getting done in a week. I, I know it's it, it's weird to say, but I'm kind of thinking like the building's kind of taking over. You yeah, know? Uh, Simon is infiltrating all their all their personalities, mm-hmm. and that the building doesn't want them to leave, so mm-hmm. they're delaying the work as the week goes along because they start off, you know, oh, great first day, but you know, yeah, we're, we're watching more lunch breaks, right, and pause breaks and smoke breaks than the actual work. Yeah, it's like the building is getting a hold of them. Mm-hmm. You know, as a, as an underlying theme, it's like you know you're here now. You're never going to leave. Yeah. Hmm. I loved um, the the roses that they show, and it's not covered in blood, but it looks like blood because they use like that red, whatever I don't know goop. what liquid it is. Yeah, they, they call it goop. Goop. Yeah. yeah, the red goop, and they have white roses and red roses, and so obviously with the white roses, it stands out so well. Um, and if you're paying attention, you can link that to the same being the same roses that Gordon was bringing to his wife, you know, earlier when they show that flashback. Um, yeah, and I that, assume and, they were the same. Yeah, and that is such an important moment, which you don't know it if you're not if you, the first time watching. I didn't realize the first time I was watching it, at least um, years ago. But in his bag, you see the you see well you see the roses i don't think they're in his bag he's holding them but then you see the peanut butter jar and you see mm-hmm. the oreos mm-hmm. uh, and those are three things that are very important obviously the peanut butter jiff but jar probably being the most important um but yeah it just shows that uh that gordon never doesn't go back home exactly and i just and thought about it the the oreos are important too because as he so Jeff runs out. He's afraid of the dark. He runs out, and then he goes to the van and he, he sees the Oreos and he eats them. And he says, before right before he dies, he's like, "Oh, I just saw these. I saw these here. I hope you don't mind." So like it kind of sets them that they are the owners. And if you if you know it, if you realize it, then you know that Gordon's the owner. So Gordon's the one who kills him. Blah blah blah. I just thought about that just now. <laughs> Yay! But, yeah. <laughs> interesting. Yeah, very interesting. It, it's funny how you know, like you can watch this. And then mm-hmm. watch it again and see so many things that you missed the first time because you're just yeah, enthralled yeah. by the storyline. Right. But then little pieces kind of fit even better, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I I love that they mention it's in one line of dialogue, but it kind of justifies the entire thing when Hank says he makes note that he's starting that he because he calls Gordon like one of his like the calmest people he's ever met. But he started to see some cracks in Gordy's demeanor the past couple months. That one line of dialogue justifies this entire thing, I think, and is so important, but done so quickly. Oh yeah, it, this isn't something that just happened overnight, right? Gordon, you know, like he's slowly, like you know, doesn't get this job, he's gonna lose his business. Mm-hmm. He's got a newborn out that he's got to take care of. Um, I, his wife wouldn't be working right now because of the child, and they have a, you know, again. They don't have the nicest of houses, you know. Yeah. So uh, you stack all that upon your shoulders. Eventually, you're going to break. 
And yeah. it's at this point in the film where we realize in this part of his life is his breaking point. Yeah. Henry is a ballsy motherfucker. He comes back alone at night to collect on his his findings on his treasure that he found. Um man, that I couldn't do it. That would creep the hell out of me. Um and I was surprised he I didn't understand why he was taking the time to sort the shit out there. I feel like he would just grab it, fill the bag up, go and then sort the shit when you're out of this creepy ass place, but um I don't know. I thought that's that's kind of strange because I guess it didn't have that effect on him like it was having on me. Yeah, you know what? Um if I was in his shoes, I would have gone back at night to to get all my stuff, but I would have just thrown everything in a bag and then sorted at home. I yeah. would not have been, you know, making piles of quarters right. in this darkened corridor. Yeah. You know, in a former mental institution. Mm-hmm. I don't think so. But I I totally and, would have gone back to get some of that change for sure. Oh yeah. And how I I've never uh, <laughs> what a testament to the film that it makes an empty jar of peanut butter as creepy as anything I can remember. Like, man, that is creepy when you see that. And then you get the noises and what should be an abandoned hospital. And then you see the figure at the end of the hall that, wow, that was effective as hell. Man, that got me. Creepy as fuck, man. Yeah, because all you see is like a shadow. You don't really get any descriptors on this person at all. It's just like a shadow person. Oh, man, that's like one of those that just is like seared in my brain, that image and doesn't get out. I love that. It reminds and you're going to laugh at me. It reminds me of <laughs> in the movie signs. Like when you look, he, when she, when Mel Gibson's character turns and looks up and sees the alien sitting on uh, the alien shadow on top of the roof across the way, or when the alien walks across the, um, part at the like Spanish birthday party, Brazilian birthday party. There's just images, and those two happen to be from the same movie, but there are some images that get stuck <laughs> in your head, um, and they just – they won't ever leave. And I feel like that's one of them that is now stuck in my head and won't get out because it's just so well done. What a perfect shot. Yeah, it was a very, very, very good shot. And then it kind of climaxes with the shot of we have Hank walking one way. We kind of – we see it with his point of view. We see the, And then the other shot is some – is the camera walking down the other side of that hall where there's a corner and you just see the flashlight and you see, you can hear him walking and then boom, they come together and you realize that you were watching a, a POV shot from whoever the killer is at that point. Well, obviously we know it's Gordy, but um, you know, whoever, not the killer, whoever is, yeah, yeah, the killer, whoever the killer is at that point. And I mean, just well done. You don't realize it necessarily at the time, it's not until after when they come together that you realize, oh, I was watching a POV shot right there. So it's it's fascinating. Um, can you guys tell me why Gordy was obs- – what his obsession was with the gazebo out back that had that white cross on it? Does it? Does he ever go to it? He he does. He does go to the gazebo. Yeah, yeah, he, he walks down the – yep, I remember that now. It's not really a gazebo. It's like a walkway to the cemetery. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think at this point he kind of realizes what he did, mm-hmm. um, but it isn't like he, I, I think he knows he did something. Yeah, but he, it's not as harsh in his mind. Like he just had a fight with his wife mm-hmm. and just wants to go home. Right. But no, in, in all seriousness, he killed his wife and his kid. Um, so I, I think at that point, like he realizes he did wrong. But he just doesn't know to what extent. 
Mm-hmm. And this is also a complete opposite to the darkness of inside the uh, asylum. Yeah. Where it's nice and sunny outside. So it's, you know. And when he's, oh, I'm sorry. Go, no, ahead. go ahead. I was just saying, when he's looking at the, um, like that, that walkway, that gazebo thing with the, the cross on it, um, you hear another voice again. And then right before it, though, I believe you hear the, the bird chirp. Which is the Brad Anderson has said that that's kind of it's it almost sounds I, I, it's just like that you know what I'm talking about that bird chirp yeah. that we hear a lot it's kind yeah. of uh, Gordy really- taking another step into hysteria basically into uh, going going insane yes yeah um, but I for some reason I really liked the outdoor scenes in this film. Yeah. It just felt like, you know, nobody can get hurt <laughs> when it's, when it's, when it's light outside, which of course isn't the case at the end of the movie. But it just seems, you know, it's, it's a, um, it's a place where you can relax after working in such dark and dank, you know, yeah. uh, such a dark and dank environment that, mm-hmm. you know, you can finally breathe because you go into that place and it's almost suffocating. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. It just feels very suffocating. Yeah. So then you can actually like breathe some relief. Because nothing can hurt you out in the sun. Right. That's what I took out of it. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, I love the, like, the, the, just the, the devolution of Gordy's character. Um, the way, the deterioration of his character, I guess I should say. Um, and that fight that he has with Phil, I thought was really intense. And then, a few minutes later, he finds blood on his fingernails. I mean, it's just so something is so clearly fucked up, and you can just see him deteriorating as it goes on in such a uh, obvious way. I love uh, that. You know what? It's not actually blood. Uh, that's another misconception that the uh, that they cleared in the uh, commentary. Okay, that's more of the red goop. Oh, gotcha. So it's, so it's like now it's on his hands. It's, but I it's, feel like. He looks at it as if he thinks it's blood, if nothing else. Oh, I thought it was. I thought he had, you know, like a hangnail or something that just exploded or whatnot, you know, yeah. like in his gloves. I thought it was blood up until today. <laughs> I thought it, I, what I thought it was, I thought it was blood on his hand from what he did to Hank that night, the night, or the night before is what I was thinking. Ah, that but makes sense too. I don't think there's a lot of blood with what he did there. I don't know. Probably not. But. Because it wasn't much blood on Hank. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah. Um, so this is where, yeah, because this is where, so let me ask you this. This is when the phone call happens. Do you think that Phil really talked with, um, I don't know, his ex-girlfriend? Uh, or did he no. make that up completely? I think he made it up. And I think that was when Gordy starts piecing things together a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. because... Gordy knows in the back of his mind what he did to Hank. And, yeah. uh, you know, he knows, um, you know, Hank didn't talk to his girlfriend. Right. See, I thought he did. Did like, you? Okay. I, I did. I, I didn't think there was any reason for him not to uh, to talk to her. Like, you know, they want their bonus, right? Because they need all bodies on deck to get their $10,000 at the end of the week. Um, so why wouldn't he talk to the wife or to talk to the girlfriend? And the, how would he know that he skipped town and that he wouldn't show up ever again? Like Phil doesn't know that. 
Um, so I, I believe he did speak to her. Um, so uh, I don't think he did because okay. – um, well, okay. Let me preface this. Uh, at first, I thought he did. Um, because I felt like Hank could have said something like that because he was going to get all this money and he didn't want her to know about it or whatever. And so he could have just dumped her because he doesn't, he talks about, you know, he laughs at the idea of having a, a future with her. So he yeah. could have just been leaving her. Um, but I, I think the reason that Phil would do that is because he just genuinely loathes Hank and he wants him gone. He, he tries earlier talking to, Gordon about how Hank is a liability and how he doesn't care and he's not going to be the one to get this job done. You need to call in um, Larry Fessender, uh, Fessenden's uh, character, yeah. whatever his name is. Um, and and so I think when he doesn't show up, he's just kind of using this as an opportunity to bring in this character that he wants and for them to stop worrying about where Hank is or if he's going to come back or whatnot, which obviously he doesn't know necessarily no. that he would be coming back or not. But if he's not there now, he, maybe he's just trying, you know, trying something to get the guy he wants in, in. Because if he invites him in, then even if Hank comes back, he'd probably still keep him on the job, you know? See, I, I think Hank's a guy that if all these quarters are worth a lot of money, he wouldn't want to share it with Amy. So right. I can, I, so that's why I, I believe that Phil spoke to Amy, Hank told her this, and then fucks off. Um, not knowing that Hank would actually succumb in the, in the, uh, uh, mental house. Um, so I, I believe that Phil did talk to her. Well, it, uh, my wife did point something out, actually, now that I think about it. You probably can't really trust, uh, scenes that, that are kind of shot with Gordon's point of view because Gordon's losing it. That's true. But I don't know that this was just from Gordon's point of view. No, this is like a group shot. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, yeah, she brought it up. Uh, David Cruz's character has very kind of a reasonable reaction to finding Hank. Uh, you know, he's like, I found, you know, when he comes and confronts me, he's like, I found Hank. Hank said you did this. Mm hmm. And that's interesting, too, because he's so – when Jeff says he sees Hank, he's like – it's just – the way he acts is as if he – there's it's not even a possibility because he's gone. And so maybe he did, but I don't know because – Like, why would Amy – Later on. Why, why would Amy like to feel about Hank? Because, you know, Phil still likes Amy, still has feelings towards her, probably wants her back. So, you know, he said he'd call her later probably to, confr uh, to, con to, to console her because yeah. – She'll get to not be lonely. You know what I mean? Right. Um, yeah. So I really do think that they spoke. Now, we didn't hear her side of the conversation. And that's what's interesting because later on, Phil's like when they're, you know, they say, oh, we they're standing in the um, the stairway and Jeff mm -hmm. had just seen Hank and he's like, we all heard it, didn't we? And it's just such a, obviously they didn't hear it. Like, why would you say that? You're, I just felt like he was trying to convince at that point when it seems like a weird point to be convincing. If that's, you know, that's his active verb or whatever you know it's just Phil, strange Phil's, Phil's acting weird as well at this point a little over the top mm -hmm. I think it's because he really does want to see Amy later on to talk to her about Hank and hopefully weasel his way back into her life I really do think that so if Hank is still at the mental hospital it means he hasn't left so he doesn't have a chance to go see his ex again hmm. or am I no I mean yeah that, that that's my take on it it's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, 
ha, huh, I don't know. You've kind of convinced me that maybe he did speak to her because how would he, how would he know that he wasn't coming back? Cause like, yeah. I mean, he could have just been sick or something and who knows? I don't know. Yeah. Cause you know, yeah. Like him, like leaving town. Yeah. But instead of would, giving, but Phil doesn't give the him. phone number. He he makes the call himself, which is another thing that kind of stands out to me as odd. Why not just give Gordon the phone number when he asked for it? Oh no, they were going to call. But, but uh, Phil, Phil knows the number anyways. So right. you know, like, it's my ex. I know it by heart, you know? Yeah. Because back in the day, you would remember telephone numbers. These days, yeah, you know, exactly. You back in the, the day, you know, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's ah, fascinating. I don't know. It's very interesting stuff. Um, another thing I I thought was so effective in this is the kind of uh, like the the lack of music in this, or the it's almost like it's um, minimalist, I guess. It's Yet you hear these. Yeah, yet you hear these sounds like you're all you're hearing, you know, uh, birds chirp, uh, bugs buzz, um, floors creak, things like that. You're hearing sounds, but you're not really hearing a lot of music. I mean, the music is there, but it's very minimal. And, and I think it's so effective. It's, uh, the, it's ever present. Very- it's almost pushy at points. I think it's also very isolating. Yes. You know, like these guys are by themselves in this vast building, mm-hmm. you know? So, uh, I, I think it just adds to the, to the disconnection to the, to get to the real world, how deeper they go with their obsessions where they can only focus on that. Um, so, you know, you wouldn't have like a regular, you wouldn't have like a regular soundtrack. You wouldn't like you wouldn't regular film. Right. You don't have themes, these guys, but they've mm-hmm. got sound. So you got yeah. like, Phil sound. You've got the bird for for Gordon. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's very minimalist, um, but it seems every note that you do here has more of a deeper meaning to it. Yeah, it's a very complex. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, it is minimalistic. The this, the soundtrack, I feel like, but it's it's very complex and and uh, deep and um, layered. To what yes. the sounds are, the choices that Anderson makes as director to use these sounds at this point. He talks about how much he loves doing the sound editing of the films, sound design of the films, I should say. But yeah, so I mean, it's just another aspect that I think works so well in this and kind of stand, makes it stand out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, another scene I think is really great with Gordon is when he tells Phil that he hit his wife. It's just clearly something you can read it in his body language, in his face, in his the way he's again trying to hold back tears. It almost feels like he's about to explode. Um, it's just been weighing on his mind for for days now, and so he's finally able to say it, even though it's not what really ha- not the only thing that happens. He it, it's he tells uh, something to get that off his you know because if he doesn't, I just feel like he's going to collapse, yeah, you know, into himself, and so. Uh, yeah, it's just the the way it's acted is so well done. No, it it really is like it, this is a character piece mm-hmm. with with supernatural elements to it. Yeah, um, but then we find out uh, through the uh, deleted scenes that um, yes, it wasn't supposed to be supernatural. Right, which I found really interesting. That was fascinating. Because I had I never, never even considered it, never heard of it, never thought of it. But man, me neither. Um, yeah. That and that also said, I 
I kind of like the ending, uh, the alternate ending. It is uh, interesting, yeah. Yeah, I guess we'll discuss it later on. Yeah, we'll talk about that when we talk about the the special features later. Yeah, good idea. Um, But yeah, definitely, definitely we're talking about. so there's that image of the, like the the white suit turning red. It's kind of backwards, and then it turns around, and then the do it Gordon in the background. Oh man, another just visually stunning shot. And again, I don't feel like it's blood. The cure I feel like it's probably the goop again. At least that's the kind of the idea I get from it. I think in this aspect, the the goop. Actually, will represent blood. Yes, that's where okay, he's that's, like right. Yep, that's you know what I mean. Yes, absolutely, absolutely right. But yeah, it's just uh, it's, what a what a cool shot. Another one of those images that sticks with you. There's so many in this. Like you know, I can almost walk through the whole film, um, and and uh, it's and that's uh, definitely a nod to uh, how it was shot and, and the different images that were picked, the framing, mm-hmm. like you mentioned, but. Um, so there's one point I can't, I didn't write down. I just wrote the shadows in the building when they show the wheelchair are creepy, but it has to be Gordon. Um, I think this is when, ah, you know what? I can't remember. Apparently there's a shot of the wheelchair. Okay. But in this shot, we see shadows move across the wheelchair. And I can remember that. That's a special, that, that's a special, uh, is that in the, in the, um, uh, deleted scenes? Oh, that's you're talking not, about at the, no, it's in the middle of the movie. They're, they're, yeah. You see the chair, and then you see the shadow, okay. whatever, come over. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, that's what I has to be, because that's where I wrote it down. It was right toward the middle here, so it has to be it. But yeah, uh, very creepy. Very fucking creepy. Um, I wish I could discuss it more, remember what it was around more. But it has to be around right, right around this point, obviously. But yeah. Um, I loved the shot of Gordon hearing Mike and Phil talk. Because this is obviously when Phil is kind of spilling the beans on Gordon and he's down at the bottom of the stairs and just looking up and the way the lighting is, it's like very, it's a very uh, dim, dimly lit scene, but you do see his face pretty clearly because of the way the light is. Yeah. Um. Man, that's just, and I wrote down, I can't believe Phil would turn on him like that just so easily. Um. And it's just, it made me think that there's really, Jeff is kind of like the only honest hard worker out of the group at, at least that the group has become at this point that now that that kind of uh they've been spending time in this asylum um because he's the only one jeff's really the only one who's actually you know doing work on a more consistent basis and is just honest about everything that's going around uh, going around going on around him um and so it's kind of like you're talking about kind of that that almost childlike innocence is very is is kind of what Jeff represents, I think. Well, all, all the others from the team, they're they're all fractured at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, like like mentioned before, you know, uh, well, Gordon's off the deep end. Hank, yeah. he's all about the cash and he's playing town. Um, uh, Mike was talking about going back to law school, and mm-hmm. that would, again, that would leave Phil with nobody. So again, it's a whole right. sense of being alone. Yeah. So that, that's why he talks to Mike and spills his guts about Gordon's secret to Mike, which. I don't get, um, but he did that. I think because he doesn't want to be alone and needs somebody on his side. Mm-hmm, right. That's 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 my take on that. But that being said, though, Phil's a bit of a piece of shit for telling uh, a coworker about his boss's, yeah. uh, you know, I domestic know. problems. Yeah. So he can't really be trusted either. Right. Yeah. I feel like the what what what's the word the the the. Uh, 
the scene or the thing that kind of gets the whole climax started, the whole ending of the film started, is mm-hmm. when Jeff sees Hank. Um, one, it threw me off. I just didn't remember that it was going to happen. I didn't remember it. Um, and I was like, whoa, okay, there's Hank. Um, and then, um, you know, just all these different things happen. You know, you get the, the arguing about where, you know, Hank is gone. I talked to her. Um, everybody heard it, but like I was talking about earlier. And then they're standing in the survey and then you hear the fucking footsteps above. And I mean, man, that was just so well done, like perfect timing. To kind of hear yeah. those footsteps, um, and it just it just takes from that moment on. You're just kind of running to the end. You're kind of in a sprint to the to the very end of the film, and I love that about it. It is um, funny those footsteps yeah. weren't actually Hank. I know that's what I was figuring. <laughs> I wasn't yeah. certain, but I was figuring. Well, um, the thing is, yeah. we assume it is just because exactly. well, there aren't no other characters, but as we're right. seeing the special features, yeah, it's somebody else. Yeah, um, which is so fucking weird. Because I was, as I was talking, I was thinking to myself, you know what? I bet that wasn't even fucking Hank. And I did they say that in the commentary too? Yeah, yeah, they okay. did. But it's, it made like, it made sense for Hank. Yeah, but it wasn't originally planned to be him. Hmm. Um, and what I like about the whole sequence where it really gets the ball rolling, yeah, is when the generator goes out. And right. Yes. You've got Jeff in the dark, or yep. he's running as the lights. Oh my god, that shot! That's so good. Such a good shot. And that fucking hallway is creepy as hell because you have like it looks like arms with hands lining the hallway all the way down. Like it, that's what it looks like. You know, there's and, a glove sticking out, and then him and just pitch running. black. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, love that scene. So yeah. such a great shot. Such a great scene. It's one of my Man. favorites from the film. Yep. Yeah. It was running through my mind earlier. It's just one of those that just you have you you can't let it go. And then so Mike is so obsessed with these tapes, right? So even all all this craziness is going on, he leaves <laughs> and goes to listen to the tapes again. Even in all this non like, is it Hank? Is it so and so? Gordy's going crazy. I hear things here. What's this? I heard they heard footsteps above him for fuck's sake. Mm-hmm. So clearly something is happening. And and Mike leaves to go watch go listen to the tapes. And what do we hear at that point? Session nine. So I yes. mean it just comes together in this incredibly tense moment. And, and, and the whole thing builds up to it. What better time? To give us session nine, then right then. It's just such smart filmmaking and the tension is wonderful. Love it. And that voice of Simon, which you, you have, you see the picture of Mary Hobbs and, you know, the other voices, it kind of, you can picture her doing it, but then you hear Simon and it's just so different. It's like, how is this woman that we've seen this picture of creating this sound? It's fascinating. Yeah, it's the creepiest. I thought Billy was pretty creepy. Yeah. <laughs> but no, Simon takes the cake. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, and then Gordy hears a voice talking to him in a different hallway. Um, and then he like st- he stops and comes back. And then the, the camera looks to see looks down to see the water like rippling, indicating that someone was just there. Mm-hmm. Love that too. And again, that couldn't be Hank because Hank is down in the in like the sub cellar the sub basement the sub tunnels excuse me uh and so that couldn't be hank that has to be that character that was deleted out of the film yeah but and and we promise we will talk more about that in the special when we get to the special features um but yeah so uh 
<laughs> man. Yeah, so when Simon is introduced, we get another montage. So this is the third one that I was men- that I made mention to earlier. Um, mm-hmm. Jeff gets light. He's like sucking the light, like literally <laughs> breathing, like but at the light. Yeah. Um, Gordy, he breaks down the yellow tape and then he finds the wheelchair again. Um, and that's that's the kind of that montage. I think there might be another one in there, but I didn't write it down. I don't remember what it is at this point. But um, so again, that that theme of something happening and then we get kind of a montage of shots that is re- well as you pointed out the first one definitely related um kind of the the building affecting them for the first time which i think is is really intelligent i just you know it didn't hit me that way the first time but i, I definitely agree with you now that you mention it but and now it just seems that the montage is just them unleashing yeah. whatever fear they had so you right, know like right. jeff overcome his by getting rid of uh, the dark Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike, he's got that last tape to listen to, so he's getting t- taking care of that. Right, um, and then Gordon rip, rips down the yellow tape to go to yeah. that room that that affected him so much in the very o- opening scenes, which I think was Mary Hobbs's room. Yes, it is four four four. Yep, it right. is. So, so yeah, and then you know you see him standing there with the with the pictures of his family. Mm-hmm. And again, God. I thought he was sticking, uh, using blood to stick it to the wall. But again, he's using that red goop. Okay. Yeah, which you know, I, I again, I thought it, I thought it was blood. Um, oh which yeah, me too. Still, still creepy. But uh, and, and one thing about the pictures, <sighs> mm-hmm. so it's pictures of I guess his his daughter's baptism or confirmation right. or whatever it is. Yeah. They don't look happy in the pictures. Uh huh. You know. Like and it's interesting because, crying, yeah, Jeff uh, says, I got the pictures back and Emma looked pissed. <laughs> and so she was clearly unhappy, but yeah, I know so, what you're so talking about. The, the family dynamic really wasn't in a positive place even yeah. back then, you know? Mm-hmm. None of those pictures look good. He's putting a smiley face on. Right. But like even there's pictures of Phil and they're like candid moments where he's looking kind of just like ghost-like. Um, like none oh, of these yeah, pictures turned out well. Too, so. They what? what was that? The baby was sick. They mentioned that at the beginning. Oh, that's right. Yep. Okay. Hmm. Yeah, I love it because in that... He's really unhappy parents. Yeah, oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, I love that. So once Simon speaks, we realize that it's the same voice that has been talking to Gordy earlier in the film. And mm-hmm. that's pretty creepy because we're just hearing this. Uh, we're just getting a name to it now. Uh, and so... The fact that this is what we've been hearing earlier to talking to Gordy, it's just very evident that that this place has affected him greatly and his horrible mental state that he's in right now. Pretty much the building claimed him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he's under it's uh, he's under the will of the of the trauma that occurred all those years ago. in that mm-hmm. building. And um, I think it's interesting because Phil, when Gordy walks in. And he sees the pictures on the wall. What is his flashback? Do you remember what his flashback is? He flashes back to when Phil gives him the wallet. And so in Gordy's mind, this is Phil being responsible for this. This is obviously minutes before he he snaps and goes on to kill everybody. But he's trying to justify it in his way. He's trying to make it make sense. And because if you remember earlier in the film, Phil walks up and he's like, oh, he tosses, he throws him the wallet when he's carrying this box. I think it was the first day or something. Yes, this is buying lunch. Oh, yes, yes, right. Exactly. Yeah. And so that really screwed with me because I'm like, oh, wait, I don't remember how this ends exactly. <laughs> and so I was like, fuck, like, I'm pretty sure this is how it does, but I don't know. I'm not so sure. But 
Yeah, and so I think it's interesting to see him try to work it out. Up until like, because I guess it happened on the Thursday. So when Friday happens, like up until Thursday night or the fourth night or whatever, after you listen to to session nine, we're not sure who's really doing the killing. Is it Phil going crazy or is it Courtney? Yeah, they don't. There's still that doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. You, I, I had no, I, I didn't know when the first time I watched it, I didn't know. I thought it was Phil until the very end, obviously. But because Phil is acting pretty screwy as well in his he own is. record. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Which is purposeful to kind of make him a, make him Return. feel like he could be the one that's doing it as well. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? what uh, my wife just pointed something out that I wasn't even thinking about while I was watching it. Um, what if Gordon was actually staying there, not at a hotel? He was staying at the asylum, which is why he didn't want them there at night. Well, oh, no, I think he, he was staying at the asylum. Yeah, yeah, because that's why that peanut butter is there—that empty jar of peanut butter—and he's he's sleeping in his car one night right outside the asylum. Um, so I think he he probably goes in and out at will. Yeah, he hadn't gotten home since the uh, since the accident because his right. wife's mad at him, right? Then again, not realizing that yeah, his wife and child is dead. Exactly. So he hasn't returned home since the uh, since the initial attack. Yeah. I loved uh, Fessenden's role in this. It was so small and he dies, but he dies so quickly. Um, it's just very cool. Um, and then I loved it also because it, like when he's introduced, uh, as soon as he walks off screen, we see the bloody handprint on the van door, which I loved. Love that shot. Yeah. Larry Fessenden gets killed in most of the movies he's in. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad because he's so awesome. But uh, he had a great cameo in this movie. Which I completely forgot that he was in. I knew there was a third, you know, and there's a, a, a another person coming in at yeah. the end. I, I did not realize it was Larry. So I was like, uh, yeah, yeah, it's awesome. I, I had no idea who he was the first time I watched this. And I've only recently come to realize who he is and what he looks like because of watching. Uh, uh, You're next? <sighs> nope. Oh, I, see, I didn't even know he was in that one. Either. Oh, no, it's that independent horror film. Uh, we are still here. Uh, oh, okay. Watching him in that one, and then I realized, oh, that's what he's a very recognizable man once you see him because he's just a goofy looking guy, you know. Uh, and so I definitely would have picked him out, um, even because you'd mentioned, oh, Fe- I forgot Fessenden was in this, so I'm pretty sure I would have picked him out this time at least, just because he's yeah. he, he's a very unique look, that's to say the least. So you want a great movie with him inside? Yes, or, and I should say, uh, bringing out the dead. Okay, I've never even heard of that one. Where he plays a grave robber in the 1800s. I believe oh. with one of the guys from Lord of the Rings and Ron Perlman's in it. Um, I'd have to check really quickly here, but Bring Out the Dead is fucking fantastic. It's probably a good eight years old now. Um, oh, okay. He was he was excellent, and we are still here. I mean, he's very good actor. I think it is not Bring Out the Dead. Uh, I'll, oh. I'll find it here. Okay, no problem. Um, I sell the dead. Sorry, it's oh, I, I have heard of that one. Yep, I know that yes. one. It's it's from 2008. It is great. It's yeah, really good. I can picture the cover. I remember when we got it at, or I can remember seeing it when I worked at Family Video on the shelves all the time. I just never ended up watching it. But yeah, it's one of those films where I wouldn't have watched it uh, if it wasn't for like Room Work magazine at the time when I was reading, mm-hmm. and they were pushing it hard, seeing how good it was. So I finally oh, okay. bought it blind, and uh, I haven't watched it since. But it's fucking decent. Hmm. Very cool. I love the – so there's a, the, the quick shot of the blood on the floor as we look through the projector hole in the uh, – the projector hole that's in the wall in the gym. Yeah. Um, I love that shot. And so right as 
so obviously Mike is about to get killed. Mike walks through the gymnasium and I w- was thinking to myself, cause he stops and he looks up and I was like, what? Why, 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 why would you stop there? One, like, does he hear something? Does he see? Like, what's going on? Why stop? And then, boom, he gets attacked from behind. Now, yeah. obviously, when we talk about special features, I finally realize why he <laughs> stops there. But I had no idea. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why, why stop there? It's just a weird place to stop. It's almost as if you're stopping to get killed. And it's like, eh, what's the deal? But now it makes sense after watching special features. But yeah, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, the most brutal aspect of the film has to be when Gordy pulls the eye poker thing, I don't know what you call it, out of Hank's head. And the way Hank's head like moves up as if it's really stuck in there. Oh my god. It's an ice pick. The ice pick. Well, it could be a lobotomy pick, but they were talking I think about that's what it is. the movie as an ice pick. So, oh, okay. I thought they were talking about the lo- uh, that's what I was thinking was a lobotomy pick. Yeah, but, yeah might act, that might actually be the lobotomy pick, but the guy was talking about in the beginning of the movie was talking about a not uh, using an ice pick. So. Okay. Yeah, because if it was an ice pick, there's a deleted scene where he's wearing a white uh, dress but uh, no panties, <laughs> and he uh, he turns to the investigators and you can see his balls. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite deleted scene. I know it's really good. So. Oh. That doesn't exist, but you know, <laughs> that's that's a basic instinct joke. Okay. Ice pick, anyways. Okay, you have not Sorry. seen Basic Instinct, so I lost you on that. I was lost really? on that one. Oh man, back in the day, it came out on DVD yeah. in a clear blue case to resemble uh, a block of ice, and it came oh. with a pen. Oh wow! Looked like an ice pick. Yeah. Huh. man. Wow. Um, so you, we get that brutal shot, which I absolutely loved. And then right afterwards, we see Fessenden's hand coming up, trying to grab Gordy's face as he kills him. Yeah. Um, and we just get that static shot of Gordy's face. Whoa, man, that was so effective. I love that shot. It's another one that I remembered from when I uh, you know, watched it previously. And uh, I just I love it. So good. Mm-hmm. It really is. Everything's so good in this movie. Like it's such, a, it's such a good independent film, right? So Gordon, he gets the hot water on him, and then and then he kills his wife, his dog, and his baby. Did you yeah. get that too? Did you get the three three kills there? Yeah. Yes, but I didn't realize the third kill um, because you don't hear it unless it's in this uh, deleted scenes. Um, because in deleted Which scenes. One? The dog you're talking, or the yeah, I don't remember the dog. And no, that was in there. One, the dog is the second kill. Yeah, the dog. Was that was in the that was in the right in the film itself. It, it was it. I, yeah. I remember even hearing the dog bark. So I didn't actually catch that he killed a dog on top of the baby until I watched the alternate scenes. It just I just yeah, never so, registered with it. Yeah, I wrote it down, and then I remember hearing it again in the deleted scenes and and being justified and thinking, "Yep, that's right." Like, there's no way that's not the sound of a dog being killed. Like. <laughs> So, yeah, it was definitely uh, toward the end of the film there, but... Yeah, we might say he kind of overreacted. Right, exactly. We, 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 we could say that. He kind of <laughs> overreacted just a bit. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because they, they just talk about how he didn't even want the kid before they had it. Wendy did, and they had one anyway. And and then his psyche just goes to shit, and he couldn't handle it. He snapped. It's, the water was the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. And then yeah. Simon's line... Or uh, the line, it says, Simon, where do you live? 
And then you already mentioned it, but I live in the weak and the wounded, Doc. I mean, oh my God, what better? And then it's credits. I mean, what a absolutely perfect way to end the film. Gordy's Simon essentially came to find him when he was weak and wounded, and this destruction was the result. I mean, it's it's almost like it's saying that any of us are capable of this given the right or wrong circumstances. Uh, just an incredible, powerful ending. Yeah, yeah, it it really is. It leaves on such a creepy note. Yeah. It, it makes you go, hmm. <laughs> exactly. So we'll talk about the special features next, but let's go ahead and, and um, talk about our final thoughts and star rating for the, the film itself. Um, Ash, you go ahead. And what is your final thoughts and star rating for session nine? Okay. Well, I'm not going to heap as much praise on you two are, um, but uh, I, I thought it was decent. Um, the uh, I thought it was beautifully shot. The fact that they used natural lighting for the bulk of it amazes yes, me, and that they were absolutely. able to use the the building itself as such a great character. Yeah, for for their budget, they did fantastic. The movie looks like it had a much bigger budget than it did. Mm-hmm. Um and I they did get a great cast. The only thing I don't like about it is it's very it while the the movie itself is creepy. Um and the the you know, the ending was was pretty well done. They had a nice build up toward the end. It doesn't it it didn't quite grab me. Um, I think is the, the, the biggest issue with it. Um, uh, it just didn't, I don't know. I don't know whether it was the characters or, or the, you know, the setting I loved, but it just, it didn't quite catch me right from the start. Like I liked that opening crawl and then it just kind of faltered for a while before it started to get interesting again. I don't know. Um, I don't know. It, it, it has some great moments to it. It just uh, it just didn't quite engage me as well, I think, as it did with you guys. So I'm going to go ahead and give it a two and a half out of four. Oh, okay. Okay. And what about you, Mark? What's your star rating and your final thoughts for Session 9? Yeah. Um, again, this is, this is very character-driven. It's very performance-driven. Um, it's intimate. Uh, but it's also spooky. Doesn't need a monster that you can see, but you can feel it as soon as they get to the building for the first time. Um, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it's, I wouldn't say it's minimalist, but for a indie film to do so much with so little, I thought they did a great job. Um, again, on the performances of everybody. Um, but Peter Mullen or Mulan, he stole the show for me. Um, He's he's wounded from the beginning, and I you just feel for him. Even though he he did what he did, he doesn't realize what he did until the end. And he, I I just feel bad for him. I just thought he was so perfect in this role. Um, but they're all really good. Caruso's good. I'm not a big fan of Caruso. I enjoyed him in this scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen Jedevin or Jevedin, pardon me, um, who I knew from the TV show Oz, um, was great as Mike. Oh, and, uh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know he was an Oz. Yeah, he was an Oz for a bit. Uh, Josh Lucas was awesome. Uh, Brendan Sexton III as Jeff was fun. Uh, I I have nothing but good things to say about this movie. I recommend this movie big time. Um, 
This is a, it's been a classic of mine for a long time in my collection. I'm going to give it four to four. Fantastic. Yeah. Goddamn. Session nine. It's nothing short of incredible for me. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a movie do the psychological horror better than session nine. Um, I thought that I liked it a lot the first time I watched it, but now I can easily say that I love this movie. Um, it's one that demands multiple viewings, and it's layered with so many interesting uh, th- uh, dynamics in there. The characters are multifaceted, and it just it fucks with the audience's head just as much as the characters in the movie. Um, the acting is incredible all around, but I have to give a special nod, obviously, to Peter Mullen as Gordy, because without him being as strong as he is, the movie would likely still be good, but not as great as it is. Um, the movie introduces so many different questions throughout that it always keeps us guessing and, and thinking, most importantly. And it does all of this with a tiny cast of really only five main players. Um, each character is unique memorable uh and the story's fantastic the sound design is also brilliant and incredibly minimalist especially for a horror film it's it's a wonderfully effective movie um so i'm giving session nine four out of four stars as well um and i'm disappointed because i really was thinking that this might be the second film that entered into the coveted cinefessions hall of fame with three four-star reviews but it wasn't in the cards this time. Fuck it up. That's right. It wasn't in the cards this time. So, oh, well. All right. So let's talk. So we already kind of talked about the AV quality a bit. Um, I, I think, it. you know, Screen Factory does an excellent job with the transfer. It looks as good as you could ever want it and arguably even too good than you might want it. Um, for those wondering, it's a 1080p high definition widescreen 2.35 to 1 aspect ratio and has a DTS HD master audio stereo um, sound option. So um, I don't, anything else you needed to add about the uh, audio video quality at all? Either of you? No, it was excellent. No. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's a good transfer. I guess it just depends on the machine that yeah. you use to watch it. But uh yeah, I'm I'm happy with the DVD version. Uh, I I just thought the Blu-ray on the PS4 was just a little too, a little too real to me. So mm-hmm. yeah, it just it for me kind of hurt a bit of the uh, atmospheric elements. Gotcha. But I guess your mouse may vary depending on this on the rig that you've got. So right. So um, did you guys watch? Uh, did anybody else watch Return to Danvers: Secrets of Session Nine? That was no, uh, that was the first thing on the disc, right? Right. Yeah, the long one. Yeah, yeah, I watched that one. Okay, I did as well. That, so that one, that's those features running like 49 minutes or about there. Um, and I think it's, I love that one. It's the, it's like the new one that they made for this disc, uh, as far as I could tell at least. Yeah, it's the new one they made for the disc. Um, and it, it doesn't have all the actors, um, but it has kind of the, it has, what does it have? It has Hank, it has Jeff, it has Mike, because he's obviously the writer as well. And it has Brad Anderson um, and the cinematographer. Um, and I don't remember her name, but, but she's wonderful. Um, and just some things, I guess I wrote down a ton of shit, but let's just see anything interesting here. Um, he, uh, one thing he said in the beginning was he, he wants, he wanted people to feel like they needed to take a shower after this movie was done. Um, and I could definitely see how this movie, if it not, I'm going to take a physical shower, just kind of a mental shower because of the way it just messes with your head. And I thought that was an interesting way to describe, um, one of his goals for the movie. Um, and they talk about how creating sympathy for Gordy was important to them because they didn't want the typical villain. Um, 
do you think they succeeded in that? Did you feel sympathy for Gordon at all? The whole time. Yeah. Um, I kind of did at first, but on the other hand, he kind of killed his whole family. Right. Um, and I, I feel sympathy for him that he didn't remember doing it, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, he murdered his whole family and then went kind of nuts and killed his friends and coworkers and... Yeah, so I, right. I my sympathy meter dropped drastically as the film went on. Yeah, and I think that's that's the key because uh, obviously if you watch the film before, you know how it happened, you know. But if you're watching this for the first time, you, I feel like you're going to feel that sympathy for him up until up until the reveal. Um, and I think that's important, and I think that's you know I would say very uh, eh, purposeful on on their part, you know. Um, so yeah, I, I would I think they succeeded well in that. Um, let's see what else. Oh, you were talking about kind of the use of natural light. And so the cinematographer talks about the use of green lighting in the room where Mike listens to the tapes, um, and said, basically they just used what was already there and just helped to accent it a little bit for the camera, which I thought was fantastic. Um, they did such a great job, uh, picking, you know, how they were going to use their lighting and whatnot. Um, and so I just, I loved hearing her talk about what they used and how they used it during the shoot. Um, but a lot, like we said, a lot of it was already there. So it was just about enhancing what was already there. Anderson says, and I think that's, they, <laughs> they do that so well. Um, some of my favorite moments in this has to be when, and, and this one, and then there's another special feature later on. That's probably one that was like the original bat behind the scenes, uh, special feature on the DVD, but I don't know for sure. Um, but they start talking about how the filming location started fucking with them. Um, and they even talk about how, some of them talk about how hearing voices. So apparently Peter Milan said that he heard a voice that was basically telling him to jump off the building or something along those lines while they were on the roof filming. And he talks about it in his own words in that other special feature. And it's almost even creepier to hear him talk about it. Um, and it, oh man, I, it's just, it's just like perfect place to film because it just gets into them even the actors you know uh and it's so effective um and then we get this story about shooting the scene where hank is chased when he's stealing the money um how you know eventually gets caught they talk about this object they they tell the same story from like three different people's point of views and the character the actor playing hank is the only one who mentions that this object lifted in the air and the cinematographer like ran into it and it was this really heavy object. They couldn't move it earlier, but somehow it moved and the cinematographer ran into it and nearly blinded her. It ended up like knocking her out, they say. Um, and then they went to the hospital and there was nothing external on her eye. It, it was like something internal. The doctor said, maybe you bruised the inside of her or something. And so, I mean, just, you know, believe what you want doesn't matter. It's just, you know, these are the stories that these actors remember from back then. Um, clearly this building had an effect on them. Um, it's it's very creepy and it's that those moments alone i think are worth watching the special feature but there's 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 so much more to it um what else yeah anderson validated what i was saying about there's so, you know this is kind of something that can be in all of us um and it's just such an effective message on such a creepy movie um and then he mentions this subplot that was in the film of this homeless woman who was supposed to be in the building and was supposed to act as a red herring, leaving us to believe that she was the one behind all the murders. But they scrapped it because test audiences were confusing this homeless woman to be Mary Hobbs, 
which Anderson didn't want. So they cut the subplot out completely. And I thought that was fascinating. And then Mark, as you and I have been talking about, yeah, this, this is what we're talking about. Like this is all of these scenes with her are in the deleted scenes. Ash, did mm-hmm. you watch the deleted scenes as well? Yeah, and uh, my wife and I both thought it was Mary Hobbs. <laughs> oh yeah, okay, yeah. I well, could definitely I see it because at first I, mean, I thought it was a homeless woman, and then I was like, maybe it is just uh, it is Mary Hobbs. Maybe she just you know. Yeah, because they they did mention that they throw all the patients out onto the streets, so it's just kind of right. Like, yeah, it's yeah. a it is supposed I, to be I, a returning patient. Like they were there and they returned. That's this, but she's homeless now. But Mayor Hobbs isn't on her folder. It didn't show deceased, so like she's dead at this point. Oh, did it show deceased? I didn't notice that. Uh, I'm pretty yeah, sure. I'm, I'm pretty sure she's deceased. But this to, to me, this was just a, a, a random vagrant, like. If you're homeless, why wouldn't you live there? Yeah. It's huge. You know? But I could definitely see how – because, I mean, like I said, I've seen the movie twice. I didn't catch that. So I could definitely see how test audiences would think that that could be Mary Hobbs. I definitely see that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say j- jumping out of this special feature for a second here, just talking about the deleted scenes. So, um, you know, we get a number of scenes with her in it. Um, uh, the I guess – the very beginning of the scene is really uh, – of the film is really cool because they have that same opening, but yeah. a person runs in the background and you can't see who it is. And I like it because they specifically talk about in the commentary for the d- deleted scenes that they don't want you to know that this is a woman until later on. They just want you to know it's a figure of some sort. And I think the way they shoot her and the way they do it, they, that's something that works really well. Um, but I think the most interesting of the deleted scenes has to be – at the very end, because it's an alternate ending, not just it's not a deleted scene, I guess it'd just be an alternate ending. Um, mm-hmm. But Mary has witnessed Gordy do all these murders. And so she comes in after Gordy does the last murder and she knocks, she kills Gordy using, yeah. I forget, she used some stick of some sort. I can't remember what it was. Um, but she kills Gordy and leaves Gordy for dead on the floor. Um, and so it's a very different ending, very different take on the ending. Uh, but interesting, I, if nothing else, I, very interesting. I do like it more. Um, but it doesn't work with the film because of the homeless person. Right. But yeah. I, I, I did like the way they wrapped up the film better this way. Like it's too bad they, they couldn't have made it go this way, but yeah. I uh, I really dug the alternate ending of this film. Yeah. And it also explains – so, yeah, good. Um, it also explains – so, when Mike is walking at the very – right before he's about to die, he stops. It's because this homeless woman is looking through down at him and he n- notices her for the first time and then mm-hmm. gets killed a second later. And so – I thought that was fascinating because I was wondering as I was watching the first time uh, – not the first time, but this last time, why is he stopping? What's going on there? And then that question gets answered in the deleted scenes. And so I, I never would have guessed that was the reason having ne- not listened to any special features obviously. So um, I, I don't know. Very interesting stuff. Um, so back to the return to Danvers um, – or I'm sorry. Yeah, return to Danvers. Um, what else? I think there's just a couple more things I wanted to mention. Oh, I guess I already mentioned that one. talks about how – you don't want your, you know, it ends up on the, the top 10 horror movies you haven't seen. And uh, co-writer uh, Stephen, I can't say his last name, he talks about you don't want it on that list. You just want it on the top 10 horror movies list. And I thought that was interesting because it's never something I'd think of um, yeah. <laughs> from this end. Um, but USA, they talk about how USA Films just didn't know how to market the film. So it only ended up being released to like eight different, eight theaters um, and was incredibly underseen. 
Um, and like I said, shame. that's I know because that's how I first heard about this was on an underrated or underseen gems list. And so I completely understand that. So I thought this was an excellent special feature. I love features like this. Like I said, it was like 49 minutes. Uh, I think they did a great job with it. Um, the other ones. Uh, so you have the deleted scenes and alternate ending, which we talked a bit about. Um, there was the the trailer. Um, which, I, if nothing else, I put that this does a good job of showing us how much better the HD release looks than the previous standard def release, even though, um, I mean, even the standard def was in full screen, which I just fucking hate. Um, and I imagine if you watch this trailer with the intention of guessing who the killer was, you'd likely guess it correctly, though. And I hate that. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, let's see, what other special features? So there was the Horrors Hollowed Ground, which I'm guessing, Mark, did you watch that one? No, that, I didn't have the chance to watch it. Okay, Ash, did you watch the Horrors Hollowed Ground? I didn't get a chance to. Okay, yep. So I, I wrote down the very start. I said, "Oh man!" Right from the start, I can guarantee that Mark hates this because <laughs> you talked isn't about how you is, didn't like him. Guy? Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, he always does it. I wouldn't watch it anyways. So I know I like these. I, uh, whatever. Um, so <laughs> Danvers is now high end apartment building. Is a high end apartment complex. I want to live there. I know. I was like, that's creepy as fuck, but I would kill to say that I live in the Session 9 hospital. I mean, how fucking crazy is that? Like, the bat part of it, like, there's only like two or three buildings on each side from the center left. And so it's not nearly as uh, big as it used to be. And they've changed okay. a lot. Um, so not a lot of the building exists anymore. But he, the guy who, who films these that you don't like, he happened to visit there back in 2004 when he was much younger with his friends and he recorded. And so we get to see that footage. Now, obviously, it's not in HD, and he wasn't shooting it with the intention of, of being on a special feature 12 years later. You know what I mean? So it's pretty rough. But yeah. it's really the only way we get to see inside there today. And he does a voice over narration over it, talking about the real history of the hospital um, and how basically he technically broke into the hospital when he got there in 2004. He, they had to sneak in through uh, one of the roof, uh, one of the roofs with an open window, and that's how they got in. Um, and it's basically like it was a labyrinth, but he went there with people that had been there many times. So they knew it really well. Um, but they even went down into like the sub tunnels and there'd be no way I'd do that. But he goes to these places where, you know, all this filming was done. Um, and they even find the hall with like the plastic arms coming out of it. And it looks almost the same, except it doesn't have the glove attached. And I thought that was creepy and interesting. Okay. Um, he mentions that Anderson. Oh, okay. Let's talk about that. Um, yeah, and you know, I know these isn't much to these features, just the guy showing us the shooting locations, but I don't know why. I still like them. Um, it's cool to see them today versus back when they, you know, back then. Um, and then this one in particular, I love that we were able to see footage of it from when he was much younger, when the building was still standing, um, in the same way that it was when the movie was shot. Cause he, obviously he was only there three years after the, sh they filmed the movie or four years after. So, mm -hmm. uh, I thought that was interesting. And that one is about 20 minutes long. Um, but if you don't like the 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 guy that does does them, you won't like that special feature, I'm sure. But, I just felt, you know, I just felt he was kind of douchey on the hauling one. So I mean, that doesn't change here. I think that's just who he is. Uh, but, that's too bad. Well, my buddy, you know, my buddy Ed did one for uh, Day of the Dead, where he oh. went to the, to the mining uh, complex where they did uh, all the underground shots in the mine. Okay. And uh, wait, well, did he do really it? Good. Did he do it for a like special feature or something, or just for fun? No, for a special feature, he's on oh. the Blu-ray. Oh, no yeah. shit. Yeah, it's really, really cool. Is it Horror's Hollow Ground or is it called something else? Uh, let me see here. That's on the day one. Let me get. Is that the second. Screen Factory Blu-ray? It is. 
I own uh, it. I'll have to watch it. Um, <laughs> I think it's in the end more because I don't. Uh, I don't see it on the back of the special features. Okay, well, that's fascinating. He, yeah, he's on the Blu-ray, which I thought was really cool. That's awesome. I'll have to check that out. I haven't watched that Blu-ray yet, but I have seen the movie once. I <laughs> couldn't tell you what it's about, frankly. I just remember the hands coming out of the wall, and that's pretty much all I remember oh, about it. But that's such a good scene. Yeah. Um, and so the other special features, um, they had the haunted palace. Um, and this is, I think this was really cool because this is like, I feel like the, probably the special feature that was on the original DVD disc, um, the behind the scenes footage. And so this okay. one is where you get to hear Peter Milan, um, talking about how when he got up there, he was kind of like, he doesn't necessarily say that he was hearing a voice, but he had this feeling that he w- w- needed to throw himself off the top of this building. And just the way he talks about it is, is terrifying. And then he talks, um, a little bit later uh, during like one another one of his interviews, how um, he I, I didn't write it down. I was hoping I did, but basically how he heard a voice. Like he was um, prepping for a scene, and then he heard a voice behind him say, "I think he said his name or something." And he turned around. There was nobody there. There was nothing there. And so okay. I mean, just the you know, if you believe in haunted buildings, it just yeah. feels like this could definitely be one of those, you know? Um, and it just uh-huh. makes it makes this character, the hospital, even more intimidating than before. And uh, I loved it. So that was like a 12-minute long feature. Um, and then there was the story to screen, which was probably the, the weakest of them. It just shows like behind this behind the scenes footage during filming of certain scenes and then also storyboards of certain scenes um, playing side by side. Uh, okay. It's like 10 minutes long. wasn't overly exciting. Uh, I bet some will enjoy it more than I did. I mean, it's pretty cool seeing the storyboarded shots, but they don't have a ton of those. It's a lot more of like behind the scenes while they were shooting that particular scene than anything else. So okay. it is what it is. But yeah. Um, yeah, I thought the special features were excellent. I mean, I, I think it goes without saying that this one, if if we're looking at it, buy, skip, wait for a sale, I, buy this one. You know, this is absolutely worth uh, the cost of admission at this point, um, the special features add so much to it that I didn't know previously. Uh, and if, if you've not seen it, you know, there's, there's so much to like that it's, I'm sure you're not going to be disappointed that you, that you purchased the Blu-ray. Mm-hmm. Um, and just for posterity sake, the Blu-ray is going for $19 and 59 cents right now on Amazon us. So, all right. So Anything else that you would like to add, Ash or Mark? No. Um, you know what? I'm just looking up the price right now on the, the .ca site. Yeah. And, uh, whew, the Blu-ray is $34.98. Holy crap. Canada's it's a few expensive. bucks. Yeah, it's it is. A few bucks. So are you uh, – what's your recommendation? Buy, skip, or wait for a sale? Oh, well, hmm. I, I don't like to skip for a sale because at 35 bucks, I would wait for a sale. Right. But it's it, – but it's a total buy. Like, yeah. if you're a horror fan, you, sh- you should pick this up. It's a fantastic film. Absolutely. But wait for a sale at $35 Canadian. Yeah. What about you, Ash? Is is $19.95 or whatever I said worth it? Or should they wait for it to drop? Um, Me personally, I wouldn't buy it for that. But mm-hmm. I mean, if you... I mean, if you're a fan of the film, absolutely. Or if you haven't seen it before, I think. But you're in in your Scream Factory collecting, um, you know, worth it. Yeah, 
Absolutely. And I think it's fascinating. And this one has a ton of special features, and it's not a collector's edition. I'm surprised by that as well. Yeah. I'm very surprised by that as well. A funny side note. Yeah. So I Googled, or uh, I'm on Amazon.ca, Session 9. Mm-hmm. Comes out with the Blu-ray, and then the DVD version, then there's a VHS tape. Oh. Fourth option, Bear Balloons Babe, Photo Session 9 on DVD. <laughs> For $84.37. Oh, we know what Mark's buying tonight. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. That's fantastic. Yeah, it is. It really is. All right. So, very good. I'm so happy we got to talk about Session 9, one of those that I've always wanted to talk about. So, excellent. Thank you, guys. So, before we call it an evening... Let's move on to round 20 of the Besting the Backlog Challenge. So this is where we try to conquer our personal backlogs one week at a time. And each one of us takes a look at the other's unwatched pile, be it their home video collections or one of their streaming services like Netflix, Amazon Instant Video, or Vudu, and pick one film the other hasn't seen yet and challenge them to watch that film before the next podcast, where they then give a quick review of that film. So as a reminder, Mark, I chose Habit for you to watch from 1995. Ash, Mark chose The Girl King for you to watch from 2015, whatever the fuck that is. And, and Ash, you chose... But, uh, I actually liked it, so... Good. And you chose The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension from 1984. So, Ash, go ahead and talk about Girl King. Okay, Girl King. Um, so, I remember why I picked this one. Um, it's about a lesbian. And... <laughs> Those always get added to my list instantly. Yes. So, okay. So this girl, um, it takes, uh, she's uh, Swedish. Um, and it's during the 16th century when the Protestants and the Catholics are at war. And um, Sweden's king dies and leaves his only heir, heir is um, Catherine. Or Christina. Sorry. She names herself Catherine later in real life. I looked her up, I think. Or, or she tries to go by Catherine at some point. Yeah, that might be the Pope, but but okay. Anyway, it's Christina. Um, so she gets raised by the Chancellor, and the King's wish was that she be raised as a boy. So she's she runs around in pants, and she knows how to fight with a sword, and you know she's educated, uh, so on and so forth. And she ends up on her 18th birthday gets proclaimed to be queen, and the the heir, you know, the the ruler. And uh, so she decides, you know, fuck this, you know, I'm tired of this war. We're going to create peace. I want my people to be educated. I want libraries. I, you know, basically she wants to modernize Sweden in the 16th century or the 17th century. And they're all, all, everyone's like, oh my God. Uh, And they all freak out. Well, she ends up uh, after her coronation, she ends up meeting um, one of her, um, is not a suitor, but he's related to one of the people that's interested in marrying her. And uh, he's engaged to this woman, uh, a countess. And she is instantly smitten with the countess and uses her um, position as queen to basically sleep with her, have a romance with her, and everything else. And, and it ends up being very mutual. Um, but Protestants be Protestants. And the Luther, the, the the Sweden at the time was Lutheran, uh, and the Lutheran were very strict on things, and we're not happy about that. So they get involved. So there's a very dramatic breakdown of their relationship and everything as it goes. And um, uh, Christina basically 
ends up telling Sweden to fuck off <laughs> at one point. But uh, so it's actually kind of uh, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, but it's interesting too because the the only thing that would force their hand is the fact that she refuses to marry or create an heir by giving birth to a child to to force her off the throne. So it's kind of a it's an interesting kind of history history drama uh, with the uh, with a lesbian romance in there. Um, okay. So and it's and it's actually kind of neat to see uh, their this kind of take on it. Um, the Netflix version I watched is a little weird. Um, it's in English, and I'm guessing they everyone in it is bilingual because everyone speaks with some kind of accent or another. Um, hmm. it's not subtitled, but when they talk in French, it's straight French. So if you don't know French. You might want to turn on the subtitles. <laughs> so it, it's mostly in English, but there are several key scenes because the French ambassador is there trying to culminate a relationship with her. Uh, and, and somebody is yelling in German at one point, and they, they translate <laughs> that on Netflix. Um, but you have to turn on the captions. They are not automatic. Hmm. So, um, But uh, other than that, I enjoyed it. Uh, it's a little depressing. Okay, it's a little more than depressing because of the the, you know, the just the way things could play out. Um, but it, it's pretty well done. I, I I like the performances. the The only one that was kind of a little off was um, Christina at some points, and I'm that's where I'm wondering if the bilingual thing doesn't play a part of it. Is where she's trying to get the right words in English type of thing. Um, but for the most part, it's pretty solid. So. Um, I enjoyed it. I gave it three out of four. Awesome. So three out of four for the Girl King. So, Mark, go ahead and talk about your second film in that Larry Fessenden collection, Habit. Yeah. So uh, made in 95, uh, it follows uh, Larry, who uh, I believe this is the only time where he directs and uh, stars in a movie. Um, pretty sure I read that somewhere. Um, so he, in this film, plays Sam. Um, recently separated from his long-term girlfriend, uh, works in a like restaurant bar type scenario, uh, has a pretty heavy drinking problem, goes to a Halloween party and meets a girl named Anna, where he's smitten for right away. Um, they start dating. Uh, he gets annihilated from his friends because he spends all his time with her. Their friends think she's kind of weird. Everybody's concerned, uh, and for a good reason, because she is a vampire. Um, <laughs> yeah. So this film, they just use that to, to really discuss more about life choices. And, you know, you don't realize what you've got until you've, lose, you've lost it, you know, when it comes to relationships. Um, also, um, well, movies called Habit. So it talks a lot about um, his alcoholism. And just, uh, you know, uh, bad habits in general. Um, it's a little slow at times. Okay. Um, more in the middle of the movie. Uh, it starts off really good. And I'm really enjoying it. And I enjoy uh, Larry Fessenden's performances in pretty much anything he does. <laughs> and it's 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 kind of fun to see him in this role here because it's from 95. So he's, he's a lot younger than uh, the movie roles I know him in more recently here because I, I know more his recent output than his early output. That's why I bought this collection too. Yeah. Um, 
And he's got an eye to be a really good filmmaker. I just find at this time, 95, the indie scene is new. This felt very Clerks-ish to me. Oh. Not in a way of how Clerks is, but more in a production value. Hmm. Um, he tends to do really well with what he's got. Um, camera uh, equipment wise. And even this film is set in New York and there's a lot of New York, uh, uh, you know, on the street, on the subway scenes. I'm sure you can get a permit for these, uh, to, to be able to shoot. So it seems a little, uh, a little in and out filmmaking as well. Um, yeah, I liked it. I didn't love it. I liked it more than no telling, but I still expected a little more in this film. Um, well, I did get nudity. Uh, I did get some full frontal from Anna, and you do see uh, Larry's buttocks. Oh, well, once or twice. God. So I took some screen caps. I'll have that on Instagram tomorrow. <laughs> um, oh. But uh, yeah, again, I, I, I'm liking them, but I just don't see myself rewatching these very often. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Um, but it's more of a it's more of a dramatic film with uh, a vampiric element. Mm-hmm. But it's more about substance abuse and uh, you know relationships more than anything else. Hmm. Um, so well, yeah, I, I would give this maybe two and a half out of four. Okay, I mean, if nothing, it's getting better. It seems to be getting better as they go on. So maybe the next two will be even better. Yeah, if ever anybody does recommend those films, and then I'll watch them. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's not, he's not going downwards. He's going upwards. Right. But, uh, you know, for, again, the indie scene in 95, mm-hmm. you know, like it was really kickstarted in 92, 93. So like, it's good. It, like, it, it's good for what it is then. Right. Um, I just thought it was just a bit slow. It was, the film was a little too long. It's, it's an hour and 52 minutes. Oof. Wow. Um, could have shaved maybe 20 minutes off the running time. Yeah. But again, I'm nitpicking. Um, not a bad film. Not a great film. It's it's down the, down the middle for me. Okay. Well, hey. There you go. Yeah. Oh, before we do anything else. Yeah. I, I have my uh, one-two-switch uh, cartridge right in front of me here. Oh. And uh, while I have the floor, I'm going to lick it. Okay. Okay, I'm kind of nervous now because I don't, yeah. don't want to lick the pen here, but I'm just going to have to give me. I'm just going to get close to the mic <laughs> You're going to ruin your game. Well, it doesn't. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to ruin my game. But, <laughs> but I'm tonguing the cartridge right now. Yeah, good. In a left and right <laughs> motion. <laughs> cartridge is getting wet. Oh, I'm getting a little something. Okay, mm. well, there's a bitterness to it. <laughs> This is the stupidest fucking um, thing ever. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, I wouldn't recommend. Maybe if you had like a dipping sauce, it probably yeah, tastes better. Probably. But as as a <laughs> as a whole, um, it, it is bitter. So if you had a child and oh. he would he or she would put it in his mouth, I'm sure they would spit it out right away. So right on Nintendo. Thank you. What fucking kills me is I know for a fact, even though no one can see you. You're sitting there actually licking your fucking cartridge. <laughs> well, yeah, because there's no one, going on. No, there's no faking. I'm real life, my friend. <laughs> oh my and god! What's interesting about this is that there's a lingering taste now because yeah. the, my, I can still taste it. That's disgusting. But the, the, the game is now back into my uh, protective pouch. <laughs> oh lordy! 
Well, good. Thank you I, for sharing that moment with I, us. I give it one out of four stars. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So um, I watched, thanks to Ash, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension from 1984. So this one is one of the first films that I remember reading about years and years ago that was dubbed a, you know, quote unquote, cult film I need to see. Um I forget which book I was reading or what article I was reading, but it came up in something and I'd never heard of it before, but immediately wanted to check it out. So years went by and I never ended up tracking it down, but then Shout Factory announced that they were releasing it as a Shout Select title. Um, the first of the Shout Selects, in fact. Um, so I knew I had to pick it up. So that's how it ended up in my collection. Um, so Buckaroo Banzai is a strange movie. Um, because it mixes in a lot of different things. The basic story follows our titular character, Buckaroo Banzai, as he attempts to fight off this alien invasion. Um, there's so much more to it than that, but at its most basic, that's what this main story is about. So I didn't love this one as much as I was hoping I might, um, but I did like it quite a lot. Uh, the best aspect of the film, though, has got to be the casting. Peter Weather, John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd, Clancy Brown, Vincent Schiavelli. I mean, the cast is incredible, and they're all a ton of fun to watch. A ton of fun to watch here. Um, this is another one like the two movies I watched last week, Ninja Two and Robot Shocks, that truly earns its cult status. Um, they're all films that they're they're doing everything they can to be good, and they succeed. But they're just campy enough to make them have a cult following. Um, this one in particular is especially campy. But, I mean, that's a given when you're working with the premise that Buckaroo Banzai presents. Banzai is a, a rock star, a surgeon, and a scientist that has a first name uh, basis relationship with the president of the United States of America. I mean, it's it's just as ridiculous as it sounds, but it's also a ton of fun. So, again, like the last couple, I wasn't a fan of the romantic interest of the film at all because it feels too shoehorned in. Um, but I will admit this one feels a little less so than Robot Jocks or Ninja 3 because of what's revealed later in the film, but I won't say that. Um, but again, I can look past that to enjoy the rest of the movie. It's just a, a fun little flick um, that's definitely worthy of 100 minutes of your time if you haven't seen it yet. Uh, and this Blu-ray from Shout looks really, really clean. Definitely worth the cost to see this one on Blu-ray. It looked great on my uh, my big screen, my, my projector. It looked awesome. I started watching it upstairs on like my 50-inch um, and then – or 55 inch and then was like no this has got to go onto the big screen so i took it downstairs and it was i think it was worth it worth the move um so i'm giving adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension three out of four stars so have you both seen this one yes oh yes okay do you guys like it more than i did or um i like it about the same as you uh okay. I, I watched it when i was a kid um, oh gotcha um it's, and I just remember how weird it was. And then I yeah. watched it a few years ago and it's still really fucking weird, but I enjoyed it, it a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. I love this movie. Okay. I really do. It's, it, I'd probably give it, yeah, I, I give it four out of four stars. Like it's <laughs> right on my alley. You're just so giving everything weird. four out of four stars these past couple of weeks. Because we're watching good shit right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, speaking of, um, so, I watched Hard Candy yesterday. Yeah. And they had a trailer for a Saw ripoff. Oh, what is it called? Me, I'm going to have to – let me go on my Facebook quickly here. Um, which gave me an idea of a future arc maybe next uh, October. I'm saying yes already because oh, I love Saw, where it's going. <laughs> Saw ripoffs. Yes. Fuck yeah. Uh, so, this one, I'm just pulling up my post here. Um, 
It's called Are You Scared? Oh, is that um are you is that uh not Ar- I, Argento I'm or I'm putting on IMDb right now here. I think like it's Argento. But it is a total fucking uh, uh, saw ripoff. No, it's by Andy Hurst from 2006. Oh, okay. I'm thinking. Oh, I'm thinking of the card player. Never mind. Oh, six kidnapped teens wake in a abandoned factory to discover they're being filmed for a twisted and terrifying reality show. Hell yeah! And that sounds amazing. I cannot. I I don't know anybody that's I, in this film. I know of this film. Like I've seen um, like this cover a, a lot in the past. I don't own it, obviously, really? but definitely one that I would want to watch. So yeah, directed by Andy Hurst, and I'm looking at him. He did Wild Things Two. He did You're Dead with John Hurt. I don't. Hmm, that's interesting. And he did Wild Wild Things Diamonds, Diamonds in the Rough from 2005. Hmm. So I do like his other films. So <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I was thinking last time, like, fuck, we should do when we did our Saw marathon last year. We should do movies that rip off Saw. Oh yeah, that's a great <laughs> idea. Fun. I love it. Yeah. Oh, there's an Are You Scared Two from oh, 2009. So yeah, I'm thinking we got ourselves an arc for October. Uh, yeah, that's awesome. Uh, yeah. All right. So uh, for the Best in the Backlog Challenge next week, Mark, you are picking for me. Ash, you are picking yes. for Mark. And I am picking for you, Ash. So I will start. Ash, uh, according to the list that we have you um, from your list, you have not seen 2015's The Pack uh, from Netflix Instant Q. I'm pretty sure I had. Why did I put that on there? Hang on. Oh, you've seen that one? Yeah. Okay. I'm well, gonna, I will I search uh, in my list and I, it, yeah, I've seen the pact and the, okay. Pact I don't know why. Wait, there's a on. pack too. Yeah. Uh, no, it's called two pact. It's uh, it's this one's, they're set in an urban area and oh. they have to uh, diss each other by using words. <laughs> oh my God. All right. So I'm going to look for something else. Um, Mark, you can uh, tell me what I'm watching while I'm searching for something else. Yes, you are watching Scream Factory's release of Class of 1984. Ah, excellent. I'm excited for that one. Very good. So I believe it's Michael J. Fox's first film role. Okay, excellent. By the way, I can still taste this cartridge on my (laughs) my tongue right now. (laughs) Oh, God. I need some scope. Yeah, you do. I didn't want to say anything, but I kind of knew that the whole time. Mark, I, I, I'm looking at this list that you have, and I can't believe you have not seen this one yet. Okay. Tropic Thunder? Is that on my list? No, I've seen Tropic Thunder. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was on that list. Okay. <laughs> um, hey. Ash, while you're searching, Zach and Mira make a porno. Ah, okay. Yeah, okay, good. I've seen that one, and so I'd be interested to hear your take on it. So you shall watch Zach and Mira make a porno from 2008. So, Ash, what is Mark going to watch for next week? Okay, have you seen Valkyrie then? Uh, No, I have not seen Valkyrie. Okay. Oh. Uh, Yeah, yeah, I'm going to pick Valkyrie for you then. Okay. Oh, I don't know why I have Tropic Thunder on this list. I'm going to delete that right now. I'm sorry. That's, That's weird. Okay. I was just it like, got... really? You haven't seen Tropic Thunder? Yeah. Okay, Valkyrie. It, funny enough, Valkyrie was going to be my Zed word um, 
uh, our film for the 80s Z Challenge, the first leg. But then when I got The Visitor, I'm like, I got to watch that instead. <laughs> so, yes, I will watch Valkyrie with pleasure. Valkyrie is actually one of the only films I've ever gone to, like, one of the few that I've had a, um, like, advance, like, we won tickets to an advanced screening of it through the radio. My friend did. And so we went to go see it. Okay, so I saw it in theaters. What's that? I believe it's a Mark Singer film. Brian Singer. You're wrong. Oh, Brian Singer. Did I say Mark? Oh, yeah. That's my name. I know what you meant. Right. <laughs> you just like talking about yourself. No big deal. All right. Yeah, so that, that was a big clusterfuck. So let me just recap that. So Mark, yes. uh, thanks to Ash, you were walk- watching Valkyrie from 2008. Ash, thanks to me, you're watching Zack and Mira make a porno from 2008 as well. And I am watching, thanks to Mark, class of 1984. Four from 1982. So actually, <laughs> that's not confusing enough. All right, so cool. This should be an interesting week of discussion next week. I've seen, I will have seen all three by the time we record next week. So I like when that happens. Yes. So that is going to be that for this week. So we will be next week, uh, back next week rather, with a review of 1987's Garbage Pail Kids, the movie from Scream Factory, of course. Um, And of course, this was Mark's pick for winning the Oscar challenge between the three of us. So I'm excited to dive into that one. Take a look. Um, And I I realized uh, today that I have not ordered it yet from Amazon. So I definitely need to do that. (laughs) So I actually have time to watch it. So... What'd you say, Ash? I'm sorry. Which one were we doing for that again? Garbage Pail Kids, the movie. Ah, oh, that's right. Okay, hang yeah. on. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's going to be so good. Another week of four stars coming up. <laughs> I can smell, I can oh, smell it. So if you guys have a question for the three of us here at the Cinefessions Podcast, please hit us up using the hashtag InFilmWeTrust for all of your questions you'd like to an- us to answer here on the show, and we will do our best to answer all of them. Again, make sure you tweet at us using the hashtag InFilmWeTrust. And if for some reason you're not on Twitter, call us at 1-302-448-TALK or email us at contact at cinefessions.com for any of those question of the week options. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, or wherever else it is that you might be listening to us. Positive reviews help us reach a larger audience, which is always the goal. So we thank you for taking the time to do that. And just a reminder, you can always reach us on social media, and we'd love to interact with listeners there. You can find us at Cinefessions on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, so make sure you're following on all three of those platforms. And Ash, where else can we find you online? I am on Twitter, D-H-G-F-Ash, A-S-H-E. Perfect. And Mark, how about you? Uh, I am on uh, Twitter at uh, Mark underscore Nadeau, and on Instagram at mnadeau 2 Fantastic. And I am on Twitter on my personal feed at Simon1, P-S-Y-M-A-N-1. So last but not least, please visit up Cinefessions.com and vote on which film we will review for the fifth and final week of our Scream Factory arc. So head on over to Cinefessions.com and vote in the poll at the top of the right-hand sidebar. You can choose between Cat People, Cherry Falls, Dark Summer, or Terror Train. So four great options that I'd be happy to review um, any of them. I review all of them, frankly. So only one can win. So make sure you help us figure out which one that is. And remember, that poll is going to close in just a couple days from when this episode releases on Sunday, March 19th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So don't miss your chance to vote. And we are going to announce that winner on next week's show. So make sure you get on there and vote, vote, vote. All right. I want to thank everyone for listening to the 84th episode of the Cinefessions podcast. And remember... 
in film we trust. We'll catch you next time. Yeah.